0: For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now.
1: Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. And for all of those joining us live on the internet or wherever you are, good morning to you and welcome to the illegal curve hockey show but despite the intro you just heard from mandy there's no drew mandel there's no ezra ginsburg there is dave manuk who's back from a few days of holidays and i'm joined by the one the only jim toth of 680 cjob jim how you doing this morning
2: good morning how are you sir thanks for having me it's a pleasure as always i'm doing all right
1: yeah, it's uh, how are the holidays? Merry Christmas to you!
2: Yeah, thanks, and happy Hanukkah as well. Uh, interesting, we ran into each other in the airport. Yeah. Um, one of us was going to Hawaii, and one of us was going to the Hawaii of Alberta in Lethbridge. So <laughs> uh, that line filled in line, didn't it? When it I did. said that, so it did. It did. Um, it a couple chuckles. Yeah, no, it was a great holiday. I got back to see my parents, who are both in their 80s, and we got the kids there. And it had been about a decade since they had a Christmas with really young kids in the house and stuff. So. Uh, it was a really good holiday, and uh, good to be back, and looking forward to these uh, back-to-back games against the Wild.
1: Yeah, there's the the rivalry series. The a lot of talk about the Jets and the Wild, and you know, going back to that playoff uh, series back in was it 2017, 2018, and yeah, that great first round series that those two uh, teams had. And you know, it's funny because everybody for years has talked about the geographic rivalry between these two clubs, Jim, and and yet now the the focus is, you know, the, now they've had a playoff series. There's that kind of that antipathy that they that they've created because of it, and you know Rick Bonus has talked about it in the last few days. Just that idea that you need to have that sort of spice created. You can't just kind of okay, well you're close in proximity, therefore you dislike each other.
2: Yeah, um, and that's interesting, right? Because I've been to a Wild game a couple of years ago when the Jets were there, and, and the Wild fans were were, they were into it. Like they were against the Jets for sure. They they wanted the rivalry to be there as well. They really did. And um, they were giving us the gifts, but also like at the end of the night, I think the Wild got a win and they were like, you know, we hope this grows and we hope this becomes a big rivalry. And uh, I think a lot of Jets fans, that was their first road trip was down to Minnesota because so many fans, um, sports fans here in Manitoba like to go down there and catch the Vikings or a Twins game or, or even the Wild when they weren't around, when the Jets weren't around. So I thought it would become a bit bigger than it is. But having said that, Dave, like, I think it is a a rivalry. I I think these two teams don't like each other. I, I think that no matter what the lineups are, and we saw that last year, right? Like we saw how how vicious some of these games can be. And and we, we know that I think they hit on Nick Ehlers last year, just prior to the playoffs uh, amped mm-hmm. things up between these two teams too, but they, they don't like each other. And and sometimes that comes from, I think Nashville and the Jets don't like each other because of the playoff series. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a very good playoff series. I thought the Jets handled the Minnesota wild pretty good. Uh, I know there was some controversy with the Josh Morrissey high stick on Eric Stahl and, um, that, that sort of led to it a little bit as well, but, but I think the most hated rivalry or heated rivalry, I should say, um, from those days is Nashville still because of that playoff series and PK Subban and Mark Shifley, but I still think there's a rivalry here. And I still think these two teams don't like each other. And I, I think that, um, like when I think of USA hockey, I think of the Minnesota area. I think of, you know, the Wisconsin area, I think of Boston college and I, I think of, um, Michigan area as well as there's so many players in the Jets like that, but it's, it's a hotbed for hockey. They, they love it. And I think it is a rivalry. And I, I actually, when I looked at the schedule this year, I thought, you know, that's, that's a great way in between Christmas and new year's. It's funny being home in Southern Alberta, there's these huge basketball tournaments that take part. And I played high school basketball and I was laughing at the town of Raymond, I think it's 5,000 people was hosting the sugar bowl again. And it came down to McGrath, a, a, a team of like, our uh, town of like seven, 8,000 people against Harry Ainley High School out of Edmonton was the final or the semifinal, and McGrath beat them. Like, there's, there's, um, it's like Hoosiers in southern Alberta, yeah. it really is with these small towns and the way they take their basketball and I think that's how Manitoba and and Minnesota approach their hockey right like these small towns and they produce these players and they all want to play for the Gophers or Minnesota State or Wisconsin or things like that so I think it is a rivalry I think this is going to be amped up when I looked at the schedule my point of this is is the basketball references between Christmas and New Year's I think that's great like I know there's the Chicago game in there but you know maybe you go to Calgary and and maybe they're going to go out west right away I think that's awesome that in between Christmas and New Year's you can do back to back games, and and how many people have families in in the state of um, North Dakota or Minnesota, and then I think that you could travel and see both if you wanted to, if you're off in between Christmas and New Year, so I I thought, when I saw the schedule, I thought this was a great idea to do it back-to-back mid-afternoons, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it, the home and home uh, element is definitely going to be a lot of fun, and you're right. People can make that trip down to Minnesota, especially you know the roads are pretty clear, so it's not not a not a long drive. I think six and a half hours usually, maybe seven if you stop. Maybe you want to get stop at Happy Harry's on the way home, but uh, <laughs> it'll be a, l- a little bit longer for some. But you know, it, it's just a it's a good set, and we'll we'll get into this the the Minnesota series and you know that game upcoming tonight. Uh, that starts uh, tonight. Sorry, that game starts at one o'clock here in Winnipeg. And then one o'clock in St. Paul tomorrow, but you know we'll we'll, and we'll of course break that down on the illegal curve post game show. You can join us around uh, four, around three forty-five, four o'clock, which Jim is going to impact my ability to watch a Moose game tomorrow, uh, the final, the New Year's Eve game uh, when I've got to do the post game show. Try and figure out if I'm doing it from the maison or if I'm going to be doing it from Canada Life. (laughs) I'll be doing it from one of the two locations, but you know there's there's indoor fireworks tomorrow at the Moose game, so I don't want to don't want to miss that i know i'm archangel so that should be a lot of fun i've seen them before of course as, as have many manitobans so it'll be interesting to see uh what what those guys can do i've never seen indoor fireworks i don't think but uh i'm excited to see that tomorrow at canada life when the moose take on the stars in a rematch speaking of the moose we'll have wyatt Bon giovanni he's a uh you know on a jets deal he signed two-year contract with the jets out of quinnipiac college so he's uh He's been. He started off a little slow. He, of course, came to training camp with. I think he had a groin injury, so he was off to a bit of a slow start. But he's been heating up of late. And then we'll be joined by the one, the man, the myth, the legend of Winnipeg, Andrew Hustler Patterson. He's joining us at ten thirty to talk Jets and probably some moose as well. So it's a full show. But uh, you know, Jim, we'll just quickly just reflect on that Chicago and Jets series uh, game story uh, on Wednesday night. You know, the, the Jets win-a-meter, I think, was around 95%, and uh, if not for yeah. the, the sp- lack of special teams, which will boost us into our first topic of the morning, and, and uh, you know, on some unfortunate posts, they, they definitely win that game, you know, ten almost 10 times out of 10 uh, every single time.
2: Yeah, I, I, I didn't see a lot of the game itself, but I did uh, watch the highlights and, and read the, re- the post-game reports. Um, It was one of those games I I think you're disappointed because you didn't get two points off Chicago. Um, but it's also one of those games that, from what I saw and what I read about the the breakdown of it, was the the fact that it wasn't like they weren't trying. It wasn't like they weren't playing well. They The, the six posts, uh, I had somebody say to me the other day, man, that Mirazic goalied them again. Eh? And I said, well, he did, but so did his goal posts. Like, it just yeah. takes one or two of those, right? So um, I think they're happy with the fashion in which they played. They started out great, especially coming off the holiday break and having to travel. Although, I, in my experience and, and from what I've been told from a lot of coaches is that, that stay-at-home game is, is the one right after the holidays that really hurts because you're home with family and everything's distracted and stuff. So good to get on the plate. But the effort was there, and um, they, they still played well. Uh, it's disappointing they lost to Chicago. But the big thing for me with the Jets this year, Dave, is the fact that they play so well game in, game out. It's the consistency. And even when they lost those three games in a row, there was some consistency in their game, and especially their five-on-five five play. Um, it is a game I think special teams cost them again. I, I really do. And I know that I, I've been watching this, like the San Jose game really stood out to me when they lost 2-1 there, that you can't not, you, you can lose to San Jose, you can lose to any team in the National Hockey League. You can't go for 5 on the power play against San Jose. That, that's just, you can't do that against a team like that. So, you know, and then it was a couple of weeks later, about a week ago now from that San Jose game that Rick Bonus said that special teams cost them the game and I, it was a home game. And he came out and said that. And I was kind of glad he said it. Or he said five or six games this year. Um, And I totally agree with him. I I think that they are leaving points on the table Mm -hmm. when it comes to their power play. Now, I know we're going to talk specialty teams, and and I have a bigger issue with the PK. But um, I thought that another thing with the Chicago game, you need to get that thing going. you're, You're at the midway point here. You're going into January. And um, your power play just plain simple has to be better. I don't think it needs new personnel. It needs to move better. It needs to move faster. So, but wrapping up the Chicago game, and I mean, Conor Bedard, um, it was funny uh, recapping everybody's thoughts on the game and everybody said he's going to be a problem. Yeah, he already is a problem. Um, uh, I, he's he scored against them twice now, um, three times in two games, and they're coming to town here on the 11th. Uh, he's a problem. He's an 18 year old problem for the rest of the National Hockey League, but it's a great problem to have. He is an absolute phenom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'll go back to the game they played here in December, and and he scored the lone goal for Chicago, I believe. Although um, there, there was two in that one, but uh, his play to set up that goal was him mm-hmm. circling around the vision to lead where a pass was going in the Jets end, and he picked off the pass, made a pass, but then he just didn't stop. He went through the slot, went to the wide side, and put it in. Um, He's got the speed, the skill, the vision, all of that. That hockey sense of that play, to not only make a play to get the puck back in the Jets end, and then make a play, but also follow up on the play. And I I was honestly surprised his teammate knew where he was going to set up that goal against Winnipeg here in in Winnipeg. So um, I I think that he's going to be a a great problem to have, but he's going to be a problem for the Central Division and the rest of the National Hockey League. It's going to be very interesting after this year the direction Chicago goes, but that's my thoughts on the game overall. Um, and I don't know how you feel, Dave. I know Jets fans don't want to hear that's a loss, but when you see a kid like that, play like that, and and have a shot like that, his wrist shot is just, it's top. We used to talk about Patrick Laine's slap shot. Yeah. We just started talking about Connor Bedard as a rookie's wrist shot. It's just, it's unbelievably good.
1: Yeah, his release is phenomenal. And and I saw someone joking about the flex that he uses. But I don't know if it matters if he was using one of those old school, uh, you know, an Easton, for God's sakes. Like, that kid is yeah. right, Jim. He's got an unbelievable shot. And, and yeah, I mean, look, I agree with you. Like, the whole idea for the Jets is that you win or lose, you want to see them play a consistent brand of hockey. Yeah. And that's the most important thing, right? When you come out of that – you know, and, and it's funny because Mark Shifley talked about it before. They went into the holiday break because I wish we weren't having a holiday break right now just because <laughs> they're playing – you know, so they were playing so well, obviously, the LA game, the Colorado game, the Boston game. You know, the Jets that they're feeling it and, and, you know, routinely in last year, it wasn't as bad this year. I was, I took note of it because I was curious. Last year, I think, what was it like 13 of the 14 teams, I think, that were on the road ended up losing. Uh, because yeah. It's, it's such an unusual, you know, it's, and again, I'm not here to blame, you know, you, the NHL because the Jets lost the game, period. But it was just an unusual, such an unusual rule, right? That you, generally speaking have to leave the day before to be in the city so you don't have any travel issues but for whatever reason, because of the CBA um, you cannot teams cannot travel together the night before the 27th and so of course the Jets were having to leave at like seven in the morning and then it's just it's just an unusual quirk in that schedule yeah this year wasn't so bad I looked the home teams didn't fare as well as they did the year prior. But I Was just curious to see if that you know how much of a factor that you know played into it potentially. But look, ultimately, what it is, and I think the overarching conversation right now because it's not goaltending because that's been phenomenal, it's not five on five play because that's been phenomenal. They've been upper echelon teams in both those categories. Connor Hellebuck, oh, big surprise, he's regained his spot atop the mountain as you know the goal saved above expected uh, leader in the NHL. And it's funny because Everybody was freaking out about Connor Hellebuck. Well, they freak out no more because his play, of course, is stellar. And then you've got the five-on-five five play, and we've talked about it. The Jets are one of the best five-on-five five teams. Defensively, they've been better. It's really just the special teams, right? You've got the 24th-ranked power play. You've got the tw- – no, sorry, 23rd-ranked power play and the 26th-ranked penalty kill. So I guess my question t- to start, Jim, is of the two – and I think you've already kind of touched on it as to what your answer is going to be. But if you had to give uh, an answer, what is your more your more concerning of those two um, issues?
2: Well, it is a penalty kill for me, and um, this is something that sits as you mentioned, twenty six overall, in the National Hockey League at seventy five point five percent. And the reason it's the penalty kill for me more so than the power play uh, Dave is because it was seventh last year in the national hockey league. Scott Ardeo came in as an associate head coach or associate coach and, and really did a number with that. They picked up Johnson Fialdi off waivers from Washington, whom he was familiar with and the penalty kill for the first time. I I, I'll have to look back to the Claude Noel days, but Paul Maurice had always struggled with the penalty kill and and getting a good one here in Winnipeg. Um, it was a top 10 penalty kill for a time. I think top five in the national hockey league. Um, that's the improvement, right? That's a massive drop. That, that's a too big of a drop for this team. And I, it's the same players. Um, it's the same system. It's the same coaches. Um, and it's the same goalie. The other thing about the penalty kill that's alarming to me, Dave, is, and I mentioned this on Jets at Noon, and we've been talking a lot about Mark Scheifele this year, and everybody has. And why the commitment to defensive play, just overall two hundred foot game, and to me it looks like a weight's lifted off. And and I've I've done a lot of talk over the years with agents and stuff to talk about how, you know, that's the big contract. It's over now. It's yeah. it's like you're always even at thirty, you're you're working for that. And Mark has always been a player in my mind when I've talked to him and I haven't for a couple of seasons. But back in the early days, he always thought in order to help the team, he needed to score more. That, that was just his mentality. And, and defend, defense, he, he cared about. But I, if I score three points a game and we lose, I got to score five points. Like that's just his mentality. Now, I think he's just he's got the deal. He knows where he's going to be. They want him here. He wants to be here. It's solidified. And he's just playing free and easy. Well, my point to this is on the penalty kill is I'm surprised he's struggling so much because I think Connor Hellebuck has found an extra gear. And I didn't know Connor Hellebuck could have an extra gear. He's got three Vesna nods on his resume and he's got a win. I think he's playing his best hockey of his entire career. And I wonder if that's the same with um, Connor Halibuck as Mark Scheifele. Like you even though you're making six million dollars a year and you've made about 48 in your career, um, that's the big deal you're playing for now that that's there. He has elevated his game this year. And I know what you mentioned, it's kind of funny, right? That first week of the season, week and a half, four goals against and four straight games. What's wrong with Connor and, um, But um, I think he's found another gear. And that's why the, the penalty kill dropping is, because everybody knows you your penalty kill, your most important player is your goaltender. And he's not been an issue whatsoever. He has been phenomenal this year. He's found that extra gear, as I said, like Scheifele has. So for the penalty kill to struggle like this, that to me is the one you need to shore up because, uh, you know, they're on a, um, I think it's got to be 23 games now where they've allowed three goals or less. Mm-hmm. That is phenomenal. Yeah. So where are those goals coming from? Those goals are coming from man advantage. They, they have to be, right, if he's playing so well. Now, I don't have the breakdown, and I don't want to say that as a fact um, yeah. to look it all up, but if you're a goaltender and your team is allowing three goals or less for over 20 games in a row, Right. Um, where a team's doing their damage and it has to be on the power penalty kill. Now that's why it's not hurting them because their five on five play is so great, right. but this will catch up to you. And we all know what playoff hockey is. And playoff hockey, the difference is quite often a power play goal, and that's quite often a two one game or something. So um, that's the one that concerns me the most. I think what frustrates me the most though is the power play. Mm-hmm that's frustrating because this is a talented team. Yeah. This, is, this isn't like, this is loaded for bear. And there's some people go oh, I of follow there's some people go Lowry. I don't care if you've got Perfetti and Shifley and Kyle Connor and Josh Morrissey, your power play should not be as bad as it is. It should be top 15, top 12, um, so that's interesting to me. Uh, that's the most frustrating one of the two. But the one I think that really hurts the team and bothers me the most is the one I think they need to fix the most is the penalty kill.
1: Well, and you know, Jim, it's interesting because, you know, when you look at the power, play, and one of the things that when um, Rick Bonus was asked about the penalty kill, he said losing guys like Saku Manalainen and, and Kevin Stenlund has hurt because they were power, they were effective. Yeah on that PK. So he did, he did go to those two guys, but you know what? This team has guys like David Gustafson, who, who was an excellent PKer, both with the moose and he's done a good job with the jets. And I think, you know, while it's true that those guys were, 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 are definitely a loss and Steven Stenlund, I think he's got, I think he's got five or six goals in Florida, so he's he's having a good season. But Sacramento Linen was was uh you know where offense went to die. I mean he didn't he didn't produce offensively, so he was good on the PK, but he didn't do anything else. And you know oftentimes we hear in the NHL you can't just be a one trick pony, you can't just do one thing. You have to do multiple things in order for a coach to be able to use you. And to me, Sacramento Linen was you know one of those guys who excellent on the PK, but he didn't do anything offensively. So yeah, that was, you know that was definitely a loss. And so yeah, the, the personnel aren't aren't identical to what it was last year, but that was what Rick bonus kind of isolated. He said, you know, those two guys do hurt on the PK, especially with Stenlin because he took those draws and he was good in that and effective in that manner. But, you know, shifting to the power play, I think one of the things you talked about and, and it struck me was the lack of movement. And, you know, our, our friend Murat Atesh of the athletic wrote a very interesting article recently, just breaking down, you know, where the power play has struggled. And he talked about, you know, three, three major issues, the importance of face-offs on the power play, even though people, you know, poo-poo face-off talk. But if you lose the face-off, you're losing 15 to 20 seconds of the power play. But then he talked about the importance of gaining the zone. Interestingly, the Jets are amongst the worst in the league at gaining the zone on the power play from his article. And you can read it. We've got it linked in the morning papers. And then the other thing that he said, which you just touched on, was he said players being married to their positions and not moving. And he said one of the testaments of a good power play and he talked about new jersey was the idea that when guys got the puck everybody shifted it wasn't like guys just stood stationary and remained in their spots and that's and if you watch it Jets' power play they do seem married to these positions and not really willing to move more than one or two feet you know from from where they're where they're currently situated and because of that it's predictable and yeah. you know, one of, you know, getting those shots through obviously it's important. But to me, that the, the one you hit on was was key is movement because that to me is is an area of this Jets team. Like you said, you've got Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor when he's healthy, Mark Scheifele, Cole Perfetti, cerebral, smart, efficient, fast, crafty. I, can you go on and on with all the adjectives in the thesaurus that's beside me here, Jim? But the reality <laughs> is that there these guys are. You're right; they're too talented in order to to be such a poor power play team, and and you're right, the San Jose game. I mean, Rick Bonus said special teams. He didn't like we talked about. It's not the power penalty kill, really. Penalty kill is important because you're right, especially in the playoffs, you want that to be efficient. But the power play, you know, has definitely cost them games. I mean, the San Jose game. You're right. You can't go 0 for five and and expect to win a game. Chicago game, same thing. You know, there's there's opportunities, and obviously they hit the post a ton of times. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, a, you know, a league average power play probably gets you one or two more goals in, or one goal at least. And and you're you're winning. You know, if if Rick Bonus feels five or six games have been cost because of that, you know, you're probably winning maybe, let's say, two of them, three of them. And where are you in the standings relative to that? So, you know, that idea of movement, though, and, and what, what are you seeing in the power play in terms of the, the lack of movement?
2: yeah and those are great names right from last year stedlin and and Menlein. um and i for, spoke about that when i said the same personnel but so I, I like what you mentioned there too dave on the penalty kill is the fact that gustafson is been but with some offense like so right. the personnel isn't the change of the personnel from those two isn't enough for me to say that this penalty kill would struggle yeah. i yeah. think they actually got better better all-around hockey players on it so i i think that would be a little bit um advantageous to them too that, the movement is, is interesting, yeah. I, I, I agree with face-offs, and I don't want to get into the face-off debate because to me it's like timely saves, and, and people argue it all the time. And I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, a save in the third period when it's 7-1 isn't the same as a save when it's 2-2 with three minutes to go on a breakaway. It just isn't. That's a more timely save to me, and I can't you know put analytics or, or anecdotes on it other than it's a game of momentum, and that's what shifts it. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's your, the point about face-offs. You can look at all the stats you want, but look at the games this year where, look at the oil game here. They could not win a faceoff the last four minutes of that game, and it cost Mm -hmm. them the game. You win one or two of those face-offs and get possession of the puck, the outcome is likely different. Um, Now, you want to quantify what happens off a face-off and how many times you're scored on? Fine. Fair enough. But then I'll take the small percentages left of not winning that face-off and go, this is what happened against Edmonton. They could not win a faceoff. off so, um, and I, I do believe it's important. I, I don't want to get into that whole debate. I'll just say that hockey's a game of possession, and you want the puck, and if you're not winning face-offs and having the puck quantified how you want, it's it's not a good thing. Um, the other thing about the movement is you're exactly right. This is a team that went out of its way after Patrick Laine's um, first season to get him the puck in that spot. And people will say, well, Ovechkin or Stamkos, and I'll say, watch those guys. They move around. It's the same shot from that general area but they move. It's not the standing still, you know, one-timer. They'll go down. They'll come up. They'll sometimes – I've seen Ovechkin do it almost close to the goal line and wire that one-timer because he's just going to where the lane is. It just makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember the days when the power play was clicking, and then all of a sudden defensemen started sliding – or laying down on the ice in front of Blake Wheeler behind the net. Remember that, yeah, and then Blake, Blake you know, would, would try to pass it into the guy for a couple of games, and then he started to pass it back to the point. And then there's still not a shot. So good, you know, you have to find alternatives for what you see. But to me, it's movement, and, and that's a great point by Murad is that if you're standing there and expect it to be there, you, you, it's not going to work. You need to get those four guys moving that are penalty killing. You need to get them to open other lanes. And I think that's what they're lacking of is is they know what works and they sit there. But to me, it's not just the movement; it's the, it's the quickness of it. You got to know where the puck's going. And it, for a team that on the power play, like you, like Marat pointed out, likes its positions, then the puck should get there quicker. It just should. Like and and so the idea of I never liked a power play that you hold, hold, hold. And then you pass, and then you hold, 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 and then you pass. I understand if the pass isn't there, but then there's another one. And that's the kind of vision I think. The puck needs to move quicker in my mind, and they need to move around. They need to get up and down and, and shift around. And quite often, like, you give it to the ring and it's Shifley. Can Shifley skate to the point and send Morrissey down? And then all of a sudden, the penalty kills, you know, looking where this guy's going. And and Shifley's going to play to somebody else or hammer the shot um it it just that's what i see now i'm not an nhl coach i'll never claim to be but i just think it it, the positioning of it they need to be a little bit more creative and and as opposed to doing what they want to do take what's being given to you and create something more out of it a new lane a different lane a night size now when it clicks like you know, hitting posts and stuff like Chicago, it looks real good. There's been some games where they've been one for five or 0 for five that I didn't have a problem with the power play. It moved quick. It looked well. They got gold and then, it, then they hit some posts, but you know, that's what I see. That's why I just think it needs to be quicker. And and that's what film is all about in my mind. Um, you think you're doing something and then you see that you're not. And And I've seen that more often than not. I've done that myself where I think I'm doing what, you know, a coach says, not in hockey, yeah. but and then I watch a fit watch a film and I'm just like, oh man, I'm not even anywhere near where I'm supposed to be or but I mm-hmm. thought I was, right? And that's yeah. what I think the film work needs to be. But we're into the season far enough now that I think there's yeah. enough film for them to sort of rectify that. But that's just what I see. I agree with with uh, heavily with two of Murat's points for sure. All three of them are good ones but the the winning some faceoffs and getting possession and and the movement and making not only themselves but the puck move quicker is what i think it needs
1: there you go well the power play talk is done for now we're going to shift to moose talk Wyatt Giovanni is going to join us moose forward on a jets contract he is great uh, name, by the way bon Giovanni, they call him bonjo he's going to uh, be i already bonjovi with- he's too
2: young
1: you can can ask him maybe he's a michigan guy we'll find out we'll talk to him coming up after these words from our sponsors welcome back to the illegal curve hockey show although some of you may have thought it was the post-game show jim because i left the post-game show banner up uh not not, not atop my game you know I'm, i'm slightly maybe i'm feeling that jet lag but uh yeah, I, le- I had as texting me from Mexico, going, you know, you got the post game show banner up. I'm like, I did not, I, I didn't realize until I saw Doug's comment, and I was like, why do you have the Betway banner there? That's not supposed to be there on a on a Saturday show. That will be there in a few hours, of course, when the Jets and Moose, Jets and Moose, Jets and Wild do battle, and then folks hopefully will be joining myself, and we'll see who's going to be joining me, Jim. Not you. You're, you're soldiering through some illness right now to be here with us. So we're we've used up our goodwill with you, but uh, we will be uh, having someone else join me on the post game show with the boys out of town. Uh, we're gonna be joined momentarily by White Bon Giovanni. I've been reliably informed. So Jim, uh, yeah, you know we'll talk about the moose a little bit. You covered the the first iteration of the moose, of course, and now the. Uh, second one is here and these this is a young team and it's funny because you know i've had comments about folks saying well you know these these guys these young kids are going to miss opportunities if they don't make the playoffs i said i and i haven't responded yet but i in my head i was like true but they're playing all these games so they're going to have a full regular season of action if the, versus the jets the moose sorry, if they were playing veterans and if they had more veterans in the lineup all those young guys aren't playing these these critical games in a, in a in a pro season so in a pro schedule so that that to me is the counter to the concern of course you want them to play in the playoffs and we'll talk about that we've got Wyatt Giovanni joining us the Michigan man he's ready to join us from it looks like hockey for all center they're getting underway at 11 o'clock for practice hey Wyatt how's it going I'm doing
0: well how are you guys good Wyatt good to do it. thanks for joining us yeah absolutely
1: Uh, how's it how are things doing you guys of course played last night not the result you would have wanted but uh how's the season going for you overall and and for the team specifically
0: uh for the team this year it's been it's been a interesting year i think that um you know it's come to our attention as players that our first game of the weekend if we're doing back-to-backs or if we have you know a weekend like this one versus texas where it's friday sunday um you know we we gotta do a better job trying to win these uh these first games but um then we you know we we have usually a turnaround game uh the second one so you know finding a way to bring that that energy that we bring to the second game and bring it to the first so that we can you know uh, string along two in a row or three in a row uh, that, that would be huge for us Oh, uh, I,
2: I I want to continue on with this talk about the season, but I I want to know how you became a Manitoba Moose and and who approached you and and how it all worked out for it. Only played three games and now you're in your second full season with the team. I always love hearing um, how Craig Heisinger and the crew has found somebody out of college. There, there's quite the resume here with Moose Hockey on finding great players out of college. How did you become a Moose?
0: Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Uh... So Quinnipiac, my senior year uh we got eliminated from the tournament uh by Michigan, so following that was you know that was my main focus was leading that team to a national championship, and unfortunately we weren't able to do that, but um, nonetheless had a great year there, great four years there uh and that that season you know I played well I played well enough to you know get the attention of some teams and Winnipeg was one of those teams talked to Larry Simmons talked to Craig Heisinger um, you know all, all these all these great guys that um were recruiting me and you know uh, it was my goal at the start of college to to leave with an NHL contract and um you know I was lucky enough to make that happen
1: you know when you when you signed that NHL deal and you uh you agree to come to Winnipeg and I, obviously, we've been talking to you for the last couple of seasons. But what did you know about Winnipeg prior to to coming here?
0: Not a whole lot. I, I, <laughs> I hit the I hit the Google machine pretty quickly uh, <laughs> to, learn, to learn about it. But um, no, I, I I knew it was um, you know I knew what everyone knew. You see it in NHL playoffs. I knew that they had a passionate fan base. Um, I knew that maybe a little more of a, a blue collar city and um cold that's what everyone <laughs> says but i gotta be honest with you cold ah, It is what it is you know you move on it's not that big of a deal
2: <laughs> it's the michigan of the north isn't it beautiful yeah uh, how do you feel this season's gone for you now that you've got some experience in the league and, and a ton of AHL games in your thir- or your second full season? Uh, Fifteen points, eight goals. How have you been playing? Are you happy with your game?
0: Yeah, I think I, uh, I think, you know, compared to last year, absolutely. And this year, each game, I think I'm growing and trying to learn more things. Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean I have a, an off an off game. I'm trying to find that level of consistency where. Uh, every night I can be an impact player and, you know, I think I can be and I I think I've proved it in games. So uh, again, just finding that level of consistency and, um, you know, making sure that, you know, it's hard. We got 70, whatever games plus playoffs, you know, being able to come every game, every shift, win your shift. uh, That's definitely a goal of mine. And I feel like I'm, I'm making the steps in the right direction towards that.
1: You know why? One of the biggest things I notice about you is your shot. It's very effective. You're you, it seems, you know, it's funny. I remember we talked about it earlier in the season. You said, you know, I just got to use my shot and have, have faith in that. And then you, you went on quite a heater uh, scoring for the moose of late. So, so is that something you, you spend a lot of time working on and that you've developed and kind of honed into one of the, the, you know, skills that you possess at the pro level?
0: Absolutely. Um, off season shooting, uh, in season after practice, before practice, whatever it is. Um, you know, obviously I'm working on other things, but mm. I've loved shooting the puck and I love scoring goals. So I think that naturally, um, I want to practice that more. And, uh, you know, off season consists of a lot of, I have a really good setup uh, where I train in Michigan where, uh, you know, we have the gym, we have the rink, and then we have off ice shooting area. So, you know, I'm allowed however much time I want to spend in there and mm. um yeah, I, I have a lot of room to work on things. So definitely a lot of hours spent in there and um you know it's the ten thousand hour rule thing for me. <laughs> really. It's like you can never shoot enough, but um you know, even even myself I'll find new ways to shoot the puck or new ways to receive it off a pass and you know the game has got It's, there's no two plays that are exactly the same. It's just, you know, constant being able to adapt, being able to move your body so that you can face the net in certain situations. So there's a lot of skills behind it, but uh, to answer your question, yes, I I work on it quite a bit and I take, uh, I take pride in that. Uh,
2: Wyatt, one of the great things about the American Hockey League is what you said. Like, There's the back to back games. You play a team twice. I, I think that creates rivalries. I think that's great for fans. The, the second game is always animated. You did that a lot in college. It's just a ton more games. Was that one of the biggest adjustments? Was not necessarily the schedule, but the number of games?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, college we played, I think max we played it was like 41 or 42. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's a longer season in the AHL. And, um, you know, occasionally we'll have that college schedule where it's back-to-back. We'll have a week off where we practice, back-to-back, and then week off. But once you really start getting into the flow of things, you get those weekday games to break it up, and then you're traveling and whatnot. So that's that was a, definitely a big adjustment. But I like playing games. Uh, and I think a lot of players, if you ask them, they would prefer to play games over practice. Uh, so it's, um, you know, it is what it is, but I, 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 I like our schedule.
1: You know, I got to ask you about your line mates. You're, you're lined up with uh, Danny Jilkin and Nikita Chibrikov. That's a, that's a dangerous trio. So what have you been able to create in terms of chemistry and what have you seen from those two uh, players?
0: Yeah, they're both fantastic players. Obviously uh, Chibrikov, very skilled, very poised. He's uh He's also a pretty feisty guy, uh, for his size. And, um, you know, I give him a lot of credit cause there are some towering guys in this league. Um, Danny, you know, he, he's been a good, he's been good at center. He's been, um, you know, he likes to show his speed and I, I, I think he's, you know, uh, he's, he's really skilled. So, you know, two, obviously, really good players. Um, and I think we're trying to build on chemistry, every, every game, every practice, uh, you know, for a little, there was a language barrier there, but I think that, <laughs> I think that they, tr- they trust me enough as a player and as a person, um, to know that I, I just want the best for, um, for them and that'll help lift us as a whole line. So we've been working on that and, um, you know, no doubt that it'll improve as well. I was before,
1: Jim. I just want to ask, well, yeah. how's your how's your Russian? Have you started to pick up any? Because I know that occasionally, you know, with, especially with Dmitri Kuzmin on the back end, you might need to have, be able to pick up a little Russian there, so those guys can communicate
0: with you. Yeah, I gotta get out the Duolingo. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I try listening in on them, and I just ask them what. <laughs> but no, I, uh, yeah. I gotta pick up on some of that stuff.
2: That's what my question was actually going to be, Dave. So are they learning learning more Russian or are they learning more English? I would presume the English, right?
0: Yeah, I would think so. I would
2: think so. The other thing I wanted to to ask you about specifically is is just what you mentioned about, you know, working with those guys and what great players there are. There's a ton of high-end prospects here uh, as yourself with this team. Are you that sort of point as a veteran now? Because the American Hockey League is a little different than the NHL. It's usually three or four or five years you're a veteran in the AHL. It's, you know, you're in your second year and you've been here for almost three that, that you're that guy. Do you, do you take on that role and you find that you're kind of the veteran now that goes, this is what I thought when I first got to Winnipeg. This is what I know about it. This is this is the kind of hockey we want to play. This is what the coaches want from us. Or you take on that leadership role now, Wyatt?
0: Subtly. Um, I think that there are guys in our locker room um, right now who are you know take on a more serious leadership role with that being said i i definitely think that i can be um a leader in my own right a guy that young guys can come to and talk to um, if they need be and you know I, I was a captain in college we got a bunch of ex-captain in colleges and juniors on our team like we're team full of leaders and it's really it's really interesting to see because, you know, everyone had that, that responsibility at a certain level, at a high level. Uh, so, you know, you have a bunch of good guys in the locker room. You know, you got uh, a lot of accountable guys, guys who will, um, you know, do anything for their, their, their brother next to them. So, um, you know, I, I personally, uh, I love taking on a leadership role. It's uh, it's challenge and it's fun. Um, So to answer your question, I haven't like I'm not in our leadership meetings per se, but does not mean that I can't bring leadership qualities to the team or to the locker room.
2: Yeah, I see that. Like, I see that going forward, right? You're you're kind of that person now, but if, if you're here for another two years, hopefully, then then you know they, that would become you. So that's that's important that you noted that that you know there's a lot of guys here, but that still that's what it takes to be a good team is is whether you're in those leadership meetings or not. That you sort of all have to toe the same line. Yes,
1: we're joined by Wyatt bongiovanni Moose forward on a jets contract he uh joins us this morning prior to more their practice at hockey for all center which gets underway around 11 o'clock so we appreciate Wyatt joining us you know Wyatt, I gotta ask you how come uh, how much did you enjoy watching that holiday video because i mean i think i've seen it about 20 times now but uh each time it makes me chuckle it's a pretty funny thing so uh, i thought the moose folks did a good job with it um, how, how much i saw they showed the reaction of all you guys watching it but you know just speaking to you now what did what did you think of that uh Entertaining uh, video that you guys put out.
0: Yeah, it was really good. They uh, they they put together a great video, great script. I don't know who the <laughs> writer was, but I don't know if there was improv going on. But obviously, I wasn't a part of the video. I would yeah. like to have been. Maybe I get a smaller role. I could be the Christmas tree next time. She's <laughs> thro- throw me a bone. But uh, no, they did a great job. Uh, you know, Malat had a lot of lines, and he crushed it. There was a lot of good performances there and it's always nice to bring you know it it can be stressful hockey and you can get caught up into the you know the flow of the season and that's always a nice kind of uh you know reminder you can you can bring some fun to it as well
2: who surprised you in that video? Because I've had a couple people at work go, like, are these are they all players? Because some of these guys are acting really well and thought they were actors. I'm like, well, these are these are all players. Like uh, did anybody's performance surprise you?
0: Uh surprise me. That's uh like I, I would say Tyrell Bauer, but that didn't surprise me. He was <laughs> he was kind of just playing his personnel, and then maybe Chris Reichel. Uh CJ, I thought CJ did a good job acting uh when he broke the fourth wall. It's funny, you know, everyone did a good job. The the rookies getting to bed, it was good, it was well done.
1: Now, Wyatt, though, you're not entirely without uh any acting chops yourself. I mean, I was there at Canada Life, uh, although I will say, just as a quick add-on to Jim's thing, of course, where I sit in the press box, a lot of the scouts sit to the left of me, and it was funny because watching i don't remember which how recent it was recent relatively recently and they were watching this and they're like are these guys players or the actors like they they're like i think those are players and then you could hear them kind of picking out the players and they were kind of confused they didn't know exactly who who was who but you did get a chance uh, i think you something about it i think you just had an acting gig for the moose you did a little a little read over of the uh i think what was it like the spy versus spy thing so you're getting a you had a small role there
0: yeah yeah you're right and i think I don't know yet. It might be a solo performance. So I didn't have very many words or lines, <laughs> but they did ask me to do something for them. So yeah, you know, I'm always happy to step in when these guys uh, ask something out of us.
2: I see we're having a little bit of problem with my mic, so I've adjusted something. Let me know if that still works. You guys got good. me. and good. That's good. All right. Uh, sorry about that to all the listeners and watchers here. Um, well, game tomorrow, New Year's Eve game, uh, the rematch, what do you make of it? Uh, how do you go into it? What are you feeling
0: about it? i uh i think that i think that we showed spurts of uh really good hockey uh last night and i think that it's really important for us to take those those positive moments you know delia made some unbelievable saves um you know we can take these things and we can build on them uh it's gonna to be tough. I think that we can get more physical with them. You know, they're skilled. They're they're good off the rush. It's no it's no secret that they score a lot of goals. So, being able to defend our own end and keep the game simple and and play forward, we can we can go to work on their defensemen. So, um, you know, again, we didn't we didn't obviously want to drop this one last night, but moving forward, what can we do to capitalize on Sunday? So. Um, you know, we look ahead.
1: Well, you'll be looking ahead with seven thousand fans plus in the building and fireworks at the end of the game. So hopefully it ends up being a good one for you and the team white. We appreciate you joining us. Toll reliably informed you have a meeting right now. So we're gonna let you go and we're gonna keep things rolling. But thanks a lot for joining we, us. We don't we don't
2: have time for the Bon Jovi question. You know who Bon Do you ever get that handle in college or
1: you gotta get that one in quick, Jim, because I'm reliably informed that they have a meeting right now. So okay. uh, <laughs> is there any bon jovi? Did you get Bon Jovi references, Wyatt, with your with your last name?
0: I always get some small ones, but uh nothing that ever really really stuck. So uh-huh. it was um it was always small little comments. Hey, it sounds a little bit like Bon Jovi or whatever <laughs> it might be, but that's because you're not
2: 120 years old like I am, Wyatt. So <laughs> thanks for joining us. Enjoy your meeting.
0: More from thanks, drink. guys. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks guys. I goes. appreciate it.
1: Thanks Wyatt. We really appreciate you joining us this morning. He's heading out to a meeting and we are going to keep things rolling here on the illegal curve hockey show. Good, good young man. Uh, Wyatt, uh, really good talker, uh, mature. He's, you know, he's 24 years old, uh, but he's a, um, Hey, maybe we'll get Daniel Fink. He was shutting down the computer there. We can get Daniel to finish off the last part of this interview, but Wyatt's a good kid. And you know, again, the one thing I've noticed about him is He's got a very good shot. And, and again, he had a slow uh, start to a season, Jim, but he's one of those players like along the p- lines of Parker Ford, Jeff Malott, the guys that the Jets go and recruit out of college and they become really good pros. And whether that turns into, you know, an NHL uh, situation for them, even a Christian Reichel, you know, there's another guy who, you know, who has been a really good, I mean, it's funny. He almost feels like a Jets draft pick because he was at so many development camps and training camps when he was with red deer, but they've done a very good job in the organization, not just obviously of drafting, but also of getting these guys out of college to sign here and then turning them into whether they ever end up being jets players, obviously that's the question mark and that's the goal, but they always end up being good pros in the American Hockey League. Yeah. I, I
2: always find it fascinating when they bring in an undrafted player because Craig Heisinger and Larry Simmons and the whole crew, but I go back to the original days of the Moose before the Jets came from Atlanta. And, and I remember the story, like I remember Kevin Bieksa arriving here. I remember Brandon Tanev with the Jets coming in, you know, with the Moose and and um, there's not a lot of misses when it comes to players out of college for, for Heisinger and the staff there, um, so that's why I was wondering about him. And you nailed it for 24 years old and just into his second full season. Very mature guy. Um, I didn't know much about him other than his stats. And and um, I think I've seen him play for one or two games last season. Dave, I haven't been to a game yet this year, full disclosure. But uh, I really like him. He he seems like a jet organizational player, right? Like even the stuff about leadership and um, mm-hmm. we're all of this together and the language barrier and all that. Like that's. That's what I was interested in finding out from him. Is that that's like that's what they love in this organization when they're picking undrafted players or signing them out of college, and, and it looks like he's a, another good one.
1: Well, and and you know it's funny because that's the one thing with this team and why it hit on it, and it's one thing we've talked about oftentimes with the moose is that they really do have a team of leaders, and they, whether it is guys who are former captains or guys who didn't necessarily wear a, a you know a letter, whether it was in junior or college, but they all um, they all have leadership qualities. And, you know, Tyrell Bauer, who I'm going to be excited that I'm mentioning Tyrell Bauer. But, you know, he's the captain of the Seattle Thunderbirds. You have a lot of guys who I could I could list who have all worn, you know, some sort of leadership, uh, you know, or had played some sort of leadership role. And the important thing for this team is that the voice of the young players is the same as the voice of the older players. And, you know, you see Jimmy Olney, like he was there last night. He's still even though, of course, he's done essentially for the season, um, but. you you still see him around and he still creates that very positive leadership. Um, He brings a lot of positive leadership qualities to this team. You know, like I said, it's, it's an important element for this jets for this moose club to have, because that's one of the things that you're trying to create is that foundational level. And it's, you know, it it ties into the idea of the jets, Jim, right? Because part of the big thing with Rick bonus is the whole idea of that. You want to have everyone feel like they've got a piece and, and have a voice. And that was the thing they didn't feel like prior and that they didn't, it really didn't feel like last year, obviously, because it was essentially the same group, just with kind of a slightly different structure in terms of leadership. But now it seems like that's different. And you see it with the Jets. And again, I think it's an important foundational um, element to be taught at the AHL level that they can bring forward into the NHL to feel like, hey, you know what, you've only been on this team for a week, but if you got to, if you want to have a voice, if you want to say something, you don't have to be quiet for Five years before you're allowed to say something.
2: Yeah, it's interesting too. Like we talked about the penalty kill, and you brought up Kevin Stenlin and Sacramento Line, and um and, and everybody having a piece of it. And and you made a valid point that there's you know especially Menalayan, there's only certain things he could do. Right. Um, but he was a big part of it. Like I remember Stenlin coming over the boards to take I I forget if it's left or right, whatever Lowry is in faceoffs in the last three minutes, like because they couldn't have a opposite. Hand face-off win to save their lives, and he would literally come over the boards and take one and then go back. Um everyone had a piece of it. Like that was their role, Menaline and, and, and Senlin, right? But you need all more hour on players, and they have that with Gusivson now and, and those guys on the penalty kill. But to your point of, of what the Moose are doing, like that's the important part. I always hearken back to when the Moose are coming from St. John's and Craig Hines the first interview he did, I was back at CJOB2 and um, Not the first interview he did, he made this widely known, but when he came on the show, he said, I'm just going to tell you and all your fans right now out of the gate, before we get started, this is not going to be a trying to win a Calder Cup. We're going to win, but we are development. We are, and you were there, Dave, over the years where, you know, the Matt Halischucks and the Patrice Cormiers were around and down a goal with 38 seconds to go and a faceoff in the offensive end. And it was the rookies coming over the board. It was Chase DeLeo and it was those guys. Yep. Um, and, and Keith McCambridge, you know, was coaching. And, and that's tough, right? Because the guys on the bench know, no offense to the rookies, but we'd like to win a game. We'd like to tie this. Yep. Uh, but that wasn't what the Moose were about. The Moose were specifically about getting the prospects in the key situations like down a goal, 38 seconds to go. Can they win a face off? Can they get the puck to the net? And that kind of development for this team. But along the way, they, they become like a Jets team, right? Like, they that's what they want to filter down all the way to the East Coast Hockey League. And that's what they want to develop is we want to develop players as opposed to just like when the Moose were here and there was no Jets. They just wanted to win a Calder. And they would bring in pros. they bring in veterans. They'd bring everything else. This is a development team. It's all about getting them to the Jets. If they win along the way, that's outstanding. But I'm looking at this team and this roster, and I don't think anybody can look at it, even with Wyatt and, and what he's done so far in his tenure here, and go, well, they've built the championship roster here. But what they've right. built is what you touched on, is that everybody's a piece of it, hone your game, get better, develop, and and see where this goes with your career. Winning would help for sure. I'm not saying they're not going to take that opportunity but it's always been about developing players and making sure the system is thick with them. And for the past two seasons, not to go on and on here, but when we've looked at what's in the cupboard, I've always thought it was pretty bare. And then I've gone to a moose game and I'm like, they have more, we focus so heavily on the first round picks. Yeah, They have more depth than I think a lot of teams think. And I'm not saying that depth is ready. I'm not saying it's a year away, but this is another roster that they are two games below 500. Now I know it's about winning percentage in the American hockey league, yeah. But, but they have some really good depth players here that are developing. So uh, um, good for Wyatt to see that and come here and develop his game, but also try and get this team to win some games.
1: Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. But look at you, you see what the benefit of that is, right? David yeah, Gustafson is capable of going in. And we saw that with, you know, whether it was Pascal Vincent or Mark Morrison, when these guys had these, guys, the, these young players, they put them into those situations. Like you said, with 30 seconds to go in a game, you know, you need to win a faceoff. David Gustafson is the guy who's taking the draw or Dylan Sandberg is out for a critical, you know, PK at the end of a hockey game or at any point in the hockey game. The point is you develop these guys. And then when they get to the NHL, they're ready and they've played those roles. And that's of course the most important thing. And, and that's one thing we've talked about. Like, that's why I said, there's no rush. People get upset when I say, look, Brad Lambert's not getting the recall. I know you want Brad Lambert recalled or Nikita Chibarkov because Kyle Connor goes down, but it's not happening because they're developing those guys in specific roles, you know, and so they want those guys and and look, those guys have, they have, they have flaws in their game and and it's easy. Mark Morrison, if the jets, if the, you know, Lambert was on for, let's say two or three goals last night, you know, it's easy for Mark Morrison to throw him back out there and say, okay, we'll learn from, learn from your mistake, go back and be better. It's different for, Rick Bonus, he's not throwing Brad Lambert out because he made a mistake that led to a goal against. And the point is, that can really do harm to a young player's confidence. So the fact of the matter is that, and you've got guys who, to be honest with you, deserve the recall because they put in the time and they're, and they're capable. So, I mean, I'm not saying Dominic Tornado, but I'm just saying specifically that you don't want to harm what your plan is. And that's yeah. the long-term vision for the organization. And that's to develop Lambert as a center. You know, Chibrikov's a winger. You've got Jilkin as a center. You're giving these young guys those opportunities with the Moose, and and again, like I said, you might not like it. You might want instant gratification. We talked about it with Craig Button, you know, a few weeks back. But you have to realize that it takes time for these guys to develop properly. And and look, even in in we saw last night in the Stars game, Logan uh, Stankovan, I can you know barely pronounce his name, and Maverick Bork. Those guys are leading the uh, AHL in scoring right now, and you know one is a 2020. 2020, 2020 draft pick, and the other is a 2021 draft pick. But the point yeah. is that they, they, they ta- it takes time, but look what they're getting, and, and, and that's going to serve Dallas very well in the future that you've got these two young guys who are tearing up the AHL and, again, not that far behind them. You've got Chibrikov and Lambert who are leading the Moose in scoring and are doing quite well from a, from a rookie perspective. So I'm just saying it takes time, it takes development. But this isn't just about the Manitoba Moose, Jim. It's about the Winnipeg Jets. We've got lots of talk about the Minnesota Wild. The Jets, they're doing battle at... One o'clock. Of course, you can join us after the game on the Leo Curve post-game show. Not Jim because we're not asking him to do two shows. He's <laughs> he's he's already he's already full, fighting through it right now for us. So we appreciate Jim. Uh, upper body injury. He's got an upper body injury. We're, upper neck injury. To, we don't want it to develop into a lower body injury as well. So we're just going to ask Jim to soldier on for one more hour here on the Leo Curve Hockey Show. We're going to head to break and we'll come back from that break. Talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors.
3: Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years Rumors, Canada's longest running comedy club Bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett The Greats and all the up and comers too When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party Even a fundraising event at Rumors Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com Whoa, Ezzy, everything okay? You look stressed. Of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos, chaos. Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do?
1: Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, One call to Rollies and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit Rollies.com and they will take it from there.
3: Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at Rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy! whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight.
2: Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do whoa they even ting through the mouth guard linden market dental center covers all your dental needs from restorative to
1: cosmetic dentistry and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle 877 waverly
3: see lindenmarketdental.com boston pizza harnessed analytics to test if the game is better at home or at boston pizza the results are irrefutable Catch the game at Boston Pizza, powered by Fedalytics. So you're a pizza person, you married a wing person, but somehow your kids are
2: salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your BP meal deal. Starting from
3: 18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. We did it again. You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake after a great game or great deal. It shows professionalism and respect. Two qualities Zappia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client
1: satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zappia of Zappia Group Realty. Get started at ZappiaGroup.com. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Hour one in the books, hour two about to get going. I am Dave Manouk, today's temporary host. Drew will be returning next week. The three of us, actually, the trio Mandel, Manouk, and Ginsburg. But for today, it's Manouk <laughs> and Jim Toth of 680 CJOB. Jimmy is uh, fighting through it, dealing with some illness, but he is soldiering on, and we appreciate the effort on this Saturday morning. You know, Jim, we got to talk about the Jets and Wild, of course, that game coming up. And and if you looked at it on paper, you'd like, oh, well, it's the third place team in the Central versus the seventh place team. But these are not a seventh place Minnesota Wild. 11, 3 and 0 since the coaching change, removing removing Dean Evanson from the bench and installing John Hines as the head coach. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on the Minnesota Wild, Jim. I haven't been closely following, you know, every Minnesota wild game, but you can't help but notice. I, I will say I did watch the game before the jets played the Bruins. Uh, I believe the wild and, um, Bruins played on the Tuesday night and I watched in Boston and I happened to have the, I was at Joey's and I watched that game and you know what, Jim, it was, uh, it was an interesting one because, uh, Minnesota was down. They tied it late, then won an OT, and uh, they looked feisty. And I thought, "Ooh, these guys look like they could be a problem for the Jets." And and even though it's it's you know they were far back of Winnipeg, and still remain remain sorry eight points back, which of course makes this this series so um, this two game set with Minnesota so important. These guys are on a roll and they're looking good and they're feeling confident. So so what have you seen from Minnesota, or what do you expect? you know, again, from this wild team to this afternoon and again, tomorrow.
2: Well, I, I agree with you. I, I caught the end of that Boston Minnesota game in the overtime as well. And and I thought just that like Matt Zuccarello is not in this lineup. He's on the IR. Um, but the coaching change has really given them a bump. They're seven and three in their last 10 and they've won four in a row. So I I think this is an interesting matchup, especially with the way the Jets are playing. It it starts here in Winnipeg and then goes down to Minnesota back-to-back. And we were just talking to Wyatt about the back-to-back games or the weekends, Friday-Sunday games in the American Hockey League. I think the NHL needs more of these back-to-back games, especially in proximity. I I really like them, but um, it's, it's, it's what Wyatt said about the Moose, really. They have to win this first one at home. And then you go down on the road and, and Minnesota is going to have a little bit of extra jump in their step if you, if they take a loss here. Um, But I think they match up well. I I think they're finally getting some goaltending in Minnesota. Goaltending was a big problem and they're finally getting some consistency in that level. Um, But like they put up five goals, I believe on Boston, including the overtime winner. Um, They're they're scoring a a bit too. Matt Bodley is coming around whom I really like him as a player. Um, So, it's interesting that they've gotten this success and, and these wins end of the new head coach, especially with Matt Zuccarello on the lineup. I, I think he's he's an underrated player in the National Hockey League, Dave, but I think he rounds out a top six real nice. I think, And what I mean by that is is he's one of those guys that when you take him out, like if you have a decent top six or a decent top line and you take him out of that, but we talk about specialty teams too, right? And Matt Zuccarello is really good on the power play. So it's interesting that they're seven and three and one, four in a row, including one in Boston, um, just the other night, uh, given the fact that the, the coaching changes come in, I, I don't, um, I didn't really think this is a roster that a coaching bump would would do this to. To be honest with you, I, I think yeah. they're feeling that cap pinch. I, I think Bill Guerin has got himself into trouble with a really young team and, and having to deal with that cap crunch of, of buying out suitor and, and Perise and, and where they go from here. So all I can say is coming into this game is I'm impressed. I'm impressed with how they are. I, I thought they would be seventh or eighth, and I thought that's where they would finish. Um, but to have won uh, seven of the last ten and four in a row, they're on a heater, and, and the Jets have to be ready for this one.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you, you you mentioned the trouble. In Minnesota, it seems like there's trouble on and off the ice. And, that's, yeah. that's you know, with all the turmoil and Bill Guerin and, and you know, the assistant general manager leaving there, you, you weren't really sure if it was going to filter down. But you're right. And, you know, there, there's lots of articles about Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't believe – I think it's going to be Gustafson and Nett. I think I saw Michael Russo, who covers uh, the Wild, say that it's going to be Gustafson and Nett. And he's been really good uh, for for Minnesota. So, I mean, that'll be a tall task. It'll be a good battle for – you know Connor Hallebuck, who loves these afternoon games, so that'll be interesting to see what happens uh, between those two. Whether it's a low-scoring affair, but look, you're right, Jim. It's such an important, you know. I mean, it sounds so obvious. It's so important to get off to a good start and to have a good game today because, you know, again, you're 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 feeling good. You still played a, a solid game against Chicago, and you've been obviously a very good. You know, I think I just had the comment up from Joe, but these are two of the best teams in the Central. But it's also psychological. If you can go from you know, an eight point advantage to a 10 point. Now you're in double digits above Minnesota. That's significant versus six because now suddenly you're like, now you're a little bit nervous. You're like, well, because that's central and it's worth mentioning. It's not just Minnesota. That's, that's doing well. Arizona's still doing well. Nashville, even though they lost an OT yeah. today, they're still doing well. So it's not like before it looked like the top three teams in the central, were going to kind of separate themselves instead. Now it's, all, like, basically all seven teams, except for Chicago, are doing really well.
2: Yeah, even St. Louis can give you a game, right? And I think that's why Craig Berube got fired in St. Louis was some nights, you know, even with their roster, they, they play hard and get wins. And other nights with their roster, they look like the worst team in the National Hockey League. And it's that inconsistency that I think has caused Craig Berube his job. But that's another roster in St. Louis that I look at Minnesota and go – you know, if they can get some wins, good for them. It's it's not something that I think could win the division or finish in the top three. But yet, on on any given night, like they can they can hurt you. They they did the other night. So um, it's interesting. Like right now, Arizona is the hottest team. They have two wins in a row in the division. Uh, I, I, well, sorry, um, next to Minnesota. Minnesota's won four in a row. So Arizona's won two in a row. They're not going away, right? Like they're nineteen no. four and two, 14 and two, uh, and have forty points, just four back. Um uh, the Jets. Now, the Jets big deal is and going into this weekend is key to what you're you're saying, Dave, is they have played 33 games and have 44 points. They have one less than Dallas, who has two more points, and they have three less games in Colorado, but they're three points behind Colorado. This is a big weekend series, not just to distance yourself from the Minnesota Wild, but to you you've got to win those games, right? And and credit to Colorado. They've played three more games, but they've got three more points the Jets the Jets have to do the same with those three games they have to get points out of all three of them to continue to fight for first place in the division and this is a big weekend of it I, I think Jets fans could be disappointed if the Jets don't get three or four points this weekend I think they got to win one of these games um, and then you know back to back and 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 you know say so they lose this one I don't think they will but if they lose this one today they've got to get that one in Minnesota but if they win today and can go down to Minnesota and get a point but I don't think four points is out of the realm. Uh, of asking for that, and this team could improve to 22, 9, and 4 and have 48 points by the time the weekend's done. That's what you have to do when you have games in hand. You have one in Dallas and and three in Colorado. Um, Minnesota has played the exact same amount of games as you, so if you could get three or four or four points this weekend, and as you said, distance yourself from Minnesota, but also make the most out of those games in hand on Colorado and Dallas, you could really propel yourself into the new year.
1: And one of the opportunities the Jets are going to have uh, to get that power play moving, and we talked. You know, I think Scott Billick talk, tweeted it yesterday. That was the first thing they started, which was unusual for Winnipeg. I was still in transit, Jim. I wasn't down at practice. But Scotty talked about the fact that the Jets were started with the power play, and that's what they their focus was was power play. And and Minnesota's PK, again, I, th- I believe it was Michael Russo of the Athletic talking about how their PK has been bad, and that's the one area they're really you know trying to shore up right now. So I mean, if you're the Jets. And you get opportunities. And we know that, you know, Minnesota plays a physical brand of hockey. Here's an opportunity, at least, to get your power play going, which is going to be a big opportunity for, for the Winnipeg Jets to, to, you know, take two points out of tonight's game.
2: Well, we're at that time of the year, too, Dave, as you know, like it, it's hard to change something at this point in the season. It's really hard system wise or to do something. Um, so when I, I read that yesterday, too, that they started practice by working on the power play. Um, this has been a month now where they'll they'll stay longer, or they'll say there's a 40 minute practice and and a good you know 12 15 minutes of it was spent on the power play. That's what they should be practicing on right now, to be honest with you. Like the five on five is good. They want to improve the penalty kill, but um, you know I, I agree with Rick Bonus when he said it's cost them five or six games this year, and, and like you said. Take those five or six games and get three wins out of it because of the power play. You're leading the division right now with three games in hand as opposed to being three games behind. Um, So I agree with you. I I think that's going to be a key part to to this weekend is getting that power play working against a bad penalty kill. When you can move your feet and draw some penalties like this team can or get in on the four check, you've got to take advantage of it. I I can't – it's at the time of the year where I was glad that you see them practicing, Dave, because you can't go on another month with saying they were 0 for 5 on the power play, or 1 for 6. Like, it has to start clicking. It has to start getting doing some damage. If they get five power plays today, they've got to capitalize on two of them today.
1: Well, you know, and Jim, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that Rick Bonus said yesterday in his availability was they're not going to have much practice time for the next Exactly.
2: League. They've got a lot of games.
1: They've got a lot of games, and, and the schedule has been very favorable for the Winnipeg Jets, and you could tell. When Rick Bonus, Scott Arneal were asked about it earlier in the season, they Rick Bonus was asked about at the beginning Scott O'Neill when he was you know looking after the coaching responsibilities when Rick was away, that was one of the things they spoke about was how they enjoy they were enjoying this this schedule and so you knew that if Winnipeg was enjoying the schedule it was a, you know if they're talking about it in a positive manner based on the way the schedule generally speaking is for this organization uh, you know locate because of the geography and all that stuff you knew that they were happy with things. And, and again, it's going to get a little tighter and that's one of the issues for guys who are coming back and Rasmus Kupari. And we know David Gustafson won't be playing this weekend. He's dealing with the lower body issue, but uh, Rick bonus said he was skating in advance of the team skating yesterday. And he is expecting him that he'll be fine, but just not right away. Rasmus Kupari, he's hoping he might play, uh, you know, on the, um, on the, when they go away, when they go to, I think Cal- they're going to Anaheim and, and San Jose I believe yeah. uh, there's a three-game road trip there. So and Arizona, I think. Yeah. And Arizona, right. yeah. There's yeah, there was I knew there was a third team. I couldn't remember exactly which one. But but the point is, you know, and it's interesting actually, Jim, and I'll get your thoughts on this. We've seen Declan Chisholm go down on a conditioning assignment. I was thinking to myself, like, if I'm if I'm the Jets and I've got Rasmus Kupari and you don't have a lot of practice time, why not send him on a conditioning assignment? Send him down to the Moose and let him play. You know, three, four, five games in a row and get some, get like, it's funny. Like, Rick Bonus has been loath to mention, to talk about Villainola going to the Moose when that time comes. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the big deal? I mean, I guess it could discourage him, you know, but, but <clears throat> you're not banishing a player. You're simply saying, your body is not conditioned to play hockey right now. Here's an opportunity to get games conditioned where we don't have to worry about you hurting us as a hockey team and then having a negative effect overall. So the idea that conditioning assignments are so um, like a negative. And it's, to me, it's just an, it's just a tool that you have at your disposal. And when you have tools, you use them.
2: Yeah. I, I'm too full on that. I agree with what you're saying. And then I also say that maybe in the discussions with him, when he came in in the summer and then through training camp and at the end of campus, you're in the NHL, like you've made it. Yeah. That, that's where we see you as that. Now, I think if the best thing for him was a conditioning stint, they wouldn't shy away from that. But I also think that with young players, they like to go, hey, you've arrived, you've made it, so um, this is where you're going to go. So it's kind of twofold, right? It's uh, what were the conversations had with the player, where is he at? Um, But to your point, Dave, I think anybody coming off a a multi-week injury should get some games in the AHL. to, To what your point is, is to get their feet under them. And, and try and go. And what they do with that is the opposite. is is like what they did with the Gabe Vellardi. They start him on the third line and play him twelve or fourteen minutes. Then they elevate his minutes, and go from there. But to me, I think Rasmus Kapari was told at the start of the year that you made it. You're you're a big part of our future. We're we're happy to have you here. We know the LA Kings maybe had you up and down, and and but you're solidified your spot. We have a bright future for you, and that's probably the way the conversations ha- have gone. So uh, that's why I think that you know, he might not. You mentioned Billy Hainola, and that's going to be really interesting, right? Because he made the team out of camp. So that goes back to our whole talk with Wyatt Bon Giovanni um, earlier about being with the Moose and developing and, and all that. Um, like, he, people forget with him that he made the team this year. And, yep. and it was uh, he was looking to be on the National Hockey League roster. And for everybody who keeps saying the development and the, the ruining these players, they're not. Like, he, he was on the team this year. It's paid off. Now I know Billy really through his agent asked for a trade, and and I, I've gone on about this on on Jets at Noon on Six Eighty CGB several times. That that's an agent like Morgan Stanley's agent going. I need to get you a contract next year, and you have no resume. Right. So I, you know, you need to get out of there. You need to. These are our options. I need to get you to a place where maybe last year at the deadline you can play twenty games, and and get something that that looks good going forward. But Kevin Schoenberg doesn't care about that stuff, and neither does the Jets, right? What they care about is really when you make this team, which he did this year, you're you're ready to go. And I don't mean like eight, nine minutes. I mean like ready to go, 12, 14 minutes, five, six pairing. Um, And that's how they handled Sandberg too, right? Like he went Mm -hmm. back to college and signed a contract. Then he came in, but when he was ready to go, it was 50-some games. Um, So... Uh, I conditioning since are interesting. I think Vail needs one because he hasn't played hockey at all this year, and and that's what's different for me than Rasmus Kapari, who looked really good at points at times when he came in. Still has his issues and flaws as well. But if he doesn't get, a, and the other part is, I think they're going to California. Like I, he's not going to play this weekend, but they said maybe on the road trip. So it tells me he's not going to play Tuesday against Tampa Bay. So I just don't think they're going to send in a Moose column back up and then right. head out on the road that way. But it, it, to me, it's all about the conversations you've had. And if you've told a young player like that who just got traded that you're on this team and a big part of our future, you know, and now maybe he might go uh, give me a game or two with the Moose, but, you know, I doubt it. So, and, and plus his role on the fourth line it would be different if he's going to be asked to play 15, 16 minutes, which he's not. So,
1: right. Yeah. I mean, and that's true. You can shelter a guy like Rasmus Kupari. I just think, like, again, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Vili because it's going to look if, if all is, and, and it's the NHL, right? Like every five minutes, a guy's getting injured, right? You've got Kyle Connor who's going to be not back till expected, what, sometime early in February. So you, you do have that roster space if you need to carry, but eventually you're going to, it's going to come to a head where, you know, Vili Hanola's, ready, and then you've got Stanley and Chisholm, and you're going to have to figure something out. And so I guess that'll lead into my next, you know, our next topic until we bring... Uh, By the way,
2: up. uh T- Tico Napoli says he could use a conditioning stint. I'm with you, buddy. Um, as soon as I get over this this head cold, I'm, I'm... That's why I got sick, I think. I'm getting a conditioning stint, too. It's time.
1: Well, Jim, they, they sent you to the minors. They sent you from CGOB yeah. down to the legal curve. No, no,
2: no, no. no, no. I, I just went back to Europe to play in that play league so I can get over this cold. That's all.
1: Well, we appreciate you, No miners, no miners
2: here. This is Top Shelf League.
1: This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. I'm Dave Manouk. He's Jim Toth. We're uh, chatting Jets. We're chatting Moose. You know, folks are, you know, they folks know that when Drew and Ezio are away, I'm going to take an opportunity to talk about the Manitoba Moose. But now that uh, we've done that for a, 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 a significant portion this morning, Jim, we're talking about the Jets. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about, of course, with Hainola and Kupari and, and obviously Kyle Connor, it, Kyle Connor will almost be like a, like a, like a, a trade addition, if you will, If especially if the Jets can keep things rolling and, and keep this winning alive without, you know, the guy who was, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? We, we're the big concern when Kyle Connor went down with injury, 17 goals leading, no, no no other jet was even in double digits when Kyle Connor was at 17. And he looked like he was on pace for 60 this year. It was going to be, you know, a remarkable season for him. But when, when you, you know, he goes down and the thought was, where's the scoring going to come from? And yet somehow the, the scoring continued and guys are contributing. And now you've got multiple guys, you know, getting into the double digits. And you you have contributions up and down the lineup from guys, you know, being able to do that. But to me, the question I have for you, Jim, now is if you were Ke- GM Kevin Shevelday up and you had a chance to, uh, you know, have conversations as we know he likes to do, what, what is, type of conversation are you having knowing that you're going to have Kyle Connor back in February, knowing that you're going to have – A situation with Hanola, Stanley, Chisholm to decide relatively soon. What are you doing as GM of this team to shore things up for what you hope to be a long playoff run?
2: Well, I I think shoring up is, is the key word there. Like I think if you can get better at something on the line, you would do it. Um, but I, I, keep looking at, and, and I'm not stealing any thunder from, I read the athletics piece with Chris Johnson and Pierre Lebrun mm-hmm. where they thought the top, you know, five guys would go. Um, I, I think they look at second line center and, and this isn't a knock on offer or, or anybody who's been filling in there, but if you could bring in an Elias Lindholm, if you could bring in a Sean Monahan, and I agree with what that athletic article had from Lebrun and Johnson about, um, Sean Monahan. I think that's a two million dollar cap hit. I think he's a UFA at the end of the year. I don't think he'll cost you as much as Elias Lindholm, and I think Lindholm is going to go somewhere like a Colorado or Boston where he's going to sign an extension, right? Like that's that's what he's looking for. Monahan, you could bring in and decide whether you wanted to bring him back or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll have to look at the cap, Dave, but I don't think there's room to like bring a Monahan in and say he does really well. Saying at the deadline he has twenty five points in twenty three games and just fits in perfectly in that top six to give him three or four million. It's really interesting with what they want to do with the defense. And I think Mike McIntyre of the free press had a, an article this week about like Brendan Dillon and Dylan DeMello, who are now the next UFAs. Uh, and they'd like to know where they're at. Like, it's not like to know, but it'd be nice to know where we stand when you see guys like Nita Ryder and Hellebuck and 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 Scheifele get locked up. Mm-hmm. But I see kind of a move like that. Uh, is the fact that if you could bring in at a relatively low cost of a, of a second um, second you know round pick and maybe a prospect to bring in Sean Monahan, I think that's a fair deal for the Montreal Canadiens and and maybe a third round pick if Chevy can work some magic and start yeah. the top two. But um, you know I think if you could bring in a Sean Monahan and either play him in that top or six or put him in the bottom six, um, I don't think you're going to break up that Lowry Niederreiter line. Um, so I think that you bring in, I mean, Sean Monahan for a pick and a prospect on your fourth line adds a ton of depth to this team. And then you can put them on the power play and stuff like that too. But that's what I think the defense is real interesting to me. Cause I think one of them is going, I think one of them is going in a package and I don't know if it's Logan Stanley. I don't know if it's Declan Chisholm. Um, but I, I think that they're, they're not going to want to give up their depth on the blue line, but if you could maybe ship Logan Stanley and a third round pick or a second round pick to Montreal and get Bonahan I think he might be doing that right. The pick would be what Montreal wants, but they yeah. can use D too. So I, I just, I, I think you're going to augment. I don't think you're going to see a big splash, but I, I, you know, the last time they had a roster like this, they went and got Paul Stasny.
1: Yep.
2: Um, so that's why I don't, I don't doubt that they're calling about Lindholm. I just don't think that's going to happen. Cause I think that's going to be three or four assets, maybe mm-hmm. three assets on an expiring contract. Yeah. Um, so probably two to three assets for that. Uh, I, that's why I like the, the Monaghan, but I think they're kicking the tires on that. I, I think, you know, that second line center spot, I don't think there's a trade out there that you would move your Kyle Connor, your Nick Ehlers, your Gabe Velarde, out of your top six, your Cole Perfetti. I don't think there's a player out there. You go, okay, Cole, you're now going down to the third line or something like right. that. Right. But right. I do think there's a trade out. There's a second-line center. I think you could go into Messikoff. You're our fourth-line center because we've got Sean Monaghan here. Or, right. you know, he's not playing well, so we will keep you there. That's the move I'm looking at. And then on the defense, I think that maybe it's for the forward or maybe it's um, to bring in a different defenseman, like a veteran D with a bigger contract and you give them a younger D like a Stanley or Declan Chisholm in exchange, you'd get the veteran presence for the playoff run and they get a good young prospect to take that spot on their roster. Those are the two kind of deals I've sort of have in my mind.
1: Yeah. And and again, that's, Hey, Jim is GM. That's what, that's what we're going to call that. segment. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a regular segment here on the illegal curve hockey show, Jim, but uh, no, I, I look that, that seems to be what everyone is talking about, right? Whether you're going to be able to bring in someone you know, and and look, I'll give Ezzy credit because ezzy has been talking about Sean Monahan, it feels like for at least two seasons now. Uh, so we're always happy to give Ez credit here on the League of Hockey show when his when his Ginsburg guarantees come true, <laughs> even if it is two, three years later than he originally made it. But you know, he just said he saw Monahan as a player who fit well potentially with the Jets. And we've seen some of the comments from the chat saying how you know Monahan's really seems to have sorted out his health related issues and and you know could be a good fit here. And he, he's not as costly. You know, you know, Calgary wants quite a bit for Lindholm, so that's going to cost you more. And like you said, the Jets—I mean, from from my from my look at the cap, because we we had a cap conversation a few weeks back, I want to say—and and the Jets don't really have the, a ton of room because you've got the and no. even if, even if the cap's going up four and a half million, five million dollars, you know, Shipy and Hellebuck are essentially taking that, and you've still got to give Cole Perfetti uh, a new contract for next year. I think David Gustafson. I mean, that's not a significant one. Neither of those really are. You'll probably bridge Perfetti, but the fact of the matter is, you're going to have to make some money. And you look, we could talk a Nate Schmidt buyout over the summer. That's always a possibility, but or a trade, of course. But like I said, there's there's not a ton of latitude even with an increase in the cap for the Jets. Uh, yeah, the 20, 20, and, and the thing about
2: season. the thing about the Schmidt buyout is now you're adding it for one year of the Wheeler buyout, right? Yeah, and so now you got two buyouts sitting there. I think it's more um, advantageous to the team if they're going to move Schmidt's contract to do it with a player. Yeah. So if, if a team wants a veteran D, I, I think you send Schmidt and Logan Stanley or somebody like that with a pick, and that's how you offset the, the eating of the cap. But I'm not sure they want to get rid of Nate Schmidt like I, this season. I, I'm not sure about that, uh, Dave. Oh, I, I, think, I think if they could add him on a Monahan with the limited cap space they have and go into the playoffs and then in the offseason look at moving Schmidt's contract. I just, I don't, we've kicked this around for a couple of shows on jets at noon as well. And I just, what's the number one commodity when it comes to the trade deadline, it's veteran d Right. And, and so um, I just don't think they're going to do a deal like that. And then, you know, say it's Chisholm or, or Logan Stanley. And then one of those guys go down in the playoffs I think they want Nate Schmidt for the playoffs. I think that that's the guy they would be looking for, is a veteran like that. So I, I just think he's here until the summer and then if they need that room, then they go, Okay, here's two two defensemen if you take this contract or something like that.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. And I I look the ultimately I think Nate Schmidt I mean his play hasn't been terrible. I mean there's been there's been obviously some It's gotten better. It's gotten better for sure, and I think like obviously sitting for four straight games kind of was a wake up call for for the veteran blue liner. But I think you're right. I think ideally, what you do look Demello and Morrissey are, have been a very good pairing. If you and Pionk has been much better this season. I mean, obviously there's been some situations, but he's been much better, rebounded from what it was a a poor season last year. And I think if you can shift Pionk down into your almost your third pairing, and then you have someone you know in that two pairing, and then the second hole. And then ultimately maybe have, you know, Schmidt as your seventh, and give you a little bit of that idea of a veteran opportunity there because you don't have look, you're not bringing it up from the prospects. They're not ready to go. So that's not coming. It's not coming from within. Um, So ultimately, you know, that's that to me is the bigger question mark is, can you find that player potentially to pair with Brendan Dillon, you know, on that second pairing and leave the Morrissey and DeMello pairing alone? I know what we talk about oftentimes, but demello has been very good, in my mind, with Josh Morrissey. So to me, it's more about finding, you know, because again, it's about cost, right, Jim? And I know we yeah. gotta go because we got to go to break because we're going to have Hustler coming on. But a yeah, I, I, quick and final thought from you. Yeah,
2: well, final thought is what do you do with Demello and Dylan? Now, I, I like everything about Dylan Demello and the pairing with Josh Morrissey, but is that not Miller Hainola's future? Like I know a lot of people are going to say take Nate Schmidt's part five six for now, but what's mm-hmm. the long term picture? Is the long term picture not Morrissey and, and Hainola? And it might not be, right? It might it might not be offense, offense, it might be defense, stay at home yeah. D man like DeMello with with Morrissey, but I, the one guy I lean more and more towards, and this seems ridiculous to say, Dave, but I can't get it out of my head, is they move Brendan Dillon. They need that big, tough, physical presence with Sandberg. Those are the two guys that that they need to, to offset the Morrissey's and the Hainola's and the DeMello's. So I, I hate to say it because you'd like to keep them both, or at least I would. Yeah. But if there's a guy in the system I, that, like, I just think that they, they can fill this spot, um, it's probably DeMello more so than Dylan. Now, Tyrell is coming up. That could be your Dylan. Depends how what they think of them, but to me it's it's those two guys. Like, it, it, who do you lose? And if it's Dylan, then is Bauer ready? And if it's Demello, is Hanola ready? And I think Hanola ready. So to me, that's the most fascinating thing going into not only the deadline but the off season is what do you do with those two D men? Because I know they want them both, or they yeah. should want them both.
1: And and of course, you know, it's being mentioned in the chat, and and worth noting, Elias Salamonsen. You know, he's a guy that. Yeah. He stuck around a lot longer than I expected. I expected him after development camp head back to to play for Schlefka. He sounded like he was expecting to go back and play for Schlefka and then he stuck around a lot longer and I know that the Jets and Moose were considering things heavily with him but of course he's well he's currently at the World Juniors with a very powerful Sweden team so he's he's you know a young guy obviously but he's he's got a lot of potential on that right side so I know a lot of folks are excited to to see what he can bring. Let's have a good conversation. It's another it's a conversation I suspect we'll be having for the throughout the 23 24 season until uh there's some sort of resolution in that front but for now we'll head to commercial break and when we come back the man the myth the legend andrew hustler patterson from winnipeg sports talk will be joining us for some more jets talk on the illegal curve hockey show welcome back to the illegal curve hockey show on this saturday morning we're leading into the jets and wild game coming up at one o'clock of course after the game join us here on the illegal curve post game show but for now Ringing in the man, the myth, the legend, Hustlerama. I wish we had some music to cue up <laughs> as Hust comes on to discuss the Jets. Hey, Huss, how, how, how are you? What's up, fellas?
2: Andy, how are you, sir?
3: I am, uh, I'm doing well. I'm fired up for this game this afternoon, guys. This well, has been uh, it's party
2: time, so let me turn this around for you. Let's go.
3: <laughs>
2: Let's get going.
3: No, the. Uh, I mean, I'd prefer it I preferred if it was a 7 o'clock start. Um, but I don't think this is going to be one of these sort of lazy 1 p.m. matinee games. Um, I'm sure I wasn't the only one that immediately looked at when are the wild coming here when the schedule came out, considering the way things uh, finished up between these two clubs last, uh, last year.
1: Yeah, I know there's no question about it. This is going to be uh it won't necessarily be friendly Manitoba versus Minnesota. Nice. We'll see. There should be some, uh, some festivities, some on ice, uh, Entertainment, I suspect, uh, between these two teams. Some physical play. How season's
3: beatings, may I may Ooh. I suggest?
1: <laughs> wow, season's beatings. I like it. I will be stealing that uh, based <laughs> on how this afternoon goes today on the Laker Post Game Show coming your way probably around 345 before we even get started on the previewing the Jets Wild House, uh, a little news out of uh, Morning Skate—not Morning Skate, but before Morning Skate, courtesy of John Lou, uh, Jim. I don't know if you saw this, but I was, of course, we're ch- we're here chatting, so we weren't necessarily paying attention to Twitter. But during the commercial break, I, I took a little gander, and sure enough, who is in a non-contact jersey, <laughs> Kyle Connor, back in Winnipeg and skating. Just twenty days after suffering that injury, so what are your initial thoughts on that?
3: Well, I mean, listen, it was the first thing I saw on my timeline when I uh, got my life together this morning, and uh, <laughs> that was that was some great uh, great news. I mean, he, I, I mean, I just looked at the video. I'm looking at it right now, folks. If you haven't seen it, go to John Lou, TSN WPG, um, and I mean, listen, that's just great news for the Winnipeg Jets. I, I jokingly thought to myself. Yeah, well, if I was watching Velarde, Ehlers, and Shifley do what they're doing right now at that top line, I'd be trying to get back right away as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and listen, I mean, Kyle Connor is such a dynamic uh, player. And tell you what, I mean, I'm sure the power play could use him right now. And I'm sure that's something you guys have sort of chopped up and sort of the, the one kink in the armor right now for the Winnipeg yeah. Jets, the way they're playing. Um, but listen, if Kyle Connor can come back at any point in January, to me, it's a huge win. I mean, I, I had thought that, you know, once we got the sort of six to eight-week timeline and looked at the schedule, I was sort of expecting that, you know, ideally KFC would be ready to go after the uh, the player break in the All-Star game. I and mean, if he's out there right now, we're not even into January yet. I think mm-hmm. we can realistically think that there might be a possibility of him playing uh, potentially on the next homestand when the team comes back at some point is they're there for about a week and a half and and four home games. I mean, they're not going to rush him, but he wouldn't be on the ice right now if he wasn't able to skate even in the non-contact jersey. So uh, I don't know how that's anything but good news for the Winnipeg Jets right now.
2: Yeah, and just to follow up on Husser's thoughts there, that the team is is not needing him, right? Like, uh, they, they obviously are going to welcome him back with open arms and probably put him right back on that top line. But this team is getting points. This team is racking up wins. And so it's not like he's out there to go, okay, we've lost four in a row, and let's see if we can speed this up a bit. I just watched it while you were talking there, uh, Husser, and he's, like, not just – a lot of times these guys come back on the ice and go up and down the ice like uh, Sunday skate – at the local arena with your family he's turning he's pivoting um he's not going hard don't get me wrong but as I, andrew said check out john Lewis twitter as dave said too and and just get a look at it but um that could be the biggest trade deadline acquisition and if he could come back I, I agree with andrew dave i don't know how you feel about it but if he's up there now yeah from when they start i think it's two to three weeks and they'll probably be on the safe side in three weeks but if they can get him back third week of january um, that really speaks to, to how good this, this lineup could uh, be once again. I just, I've been on it since they drafted him. I think he's going to be the Jets' first 50-goal scorer. And you mentioned Dave, he was on pace for over 60. I thought it was going to happen this year. Um, but if they can add him into this lineup, and then, you know, whenever these guys get back on the ice, guys, then the debate starts, right? Like, it's the same it's with him, all who comes out and, and where do they go? And that's what happened with Velarde when he came back. Where do you play him?
3: Well, I, I'll be honest. I, I had said on, on WST the last couple days that there was a moratorium for the remainder of December, for the remainder of 2023, on talking about where Connor plays when he comes back, as well as <laughs> Billy Hanula, um, because that will be happening in January. Although I didn't expect to see Kyle Connor standing this morning right now. So, listen, in these next couple weeks, that conversation is going to happen. And, I mean, listen, you could obviously go back to where he was and move Velarde. I would be tempted to see if Kyle Connor might be able to um, skate with Cole Perfetti and get a bit of, more of a jump and a bit more offense out of that line right now. And it would be a way of sort of easing him back in with maybe a few less minutes. I, You're going to want to have Kyle Connor out there um, <laughs> on a regular basis. And I don't think... I mean, that line right now, realistically, is probably technically the third line. If you look at ice time distribution for the coaches, yeah. I mean, the Lowry line gets so many of the big matchups and plays in so many situations that cranks their ice time up. Um, logic probably says he's back on the top line at one point, and maybe that allows Nikolai Ehlers to come back and play with Cole Perfetti. I mean, I still really like that group, but I don't know. I, the way Villardi Ehlers, and Scheifele are playing right now Um, That's a pretty tough ask to do anything other than keep those guys together. But uh, Dave, hey, listen, good problems to have getting a guy like Connor back when your team is rolling the way the team has been while he's been out.
2: And I don't want to jinx it, but a lot of times these problems figure themselves out, like over the next three weeks. It it would be amazing if that line can continue this production consistently for the next three to four weeks. The likelihood of that isn't, isn't, um, probably the facts so then you you make those decisions then like a week before he comes back you might be going well that line hasn't produced in three games so here here we go but those things work itself out but yeah i mean i'm just as shocked as everybody else that he's out there skating this morning
1: well, I mean, think about it. The the conversation we had like half an hour ago was like, okay, well, <laughs> he's coming back in early February and like Hustler said, we don't know when he's coming back. I'm sure that'll be a question. Well, actually I was going to say it'd be a question to Rick Bonus. Problem is Rick Bonus won't be speaking before the game. He'll speak of course after the game. So, uh, well, I'll be We'll all be listening to what's going on at the Matt Frost Media Center. You can, of course, watch that. That'll be on our YouTube channel as soon as it's available, recorded by one of our photogs. Colby Spence will be taking photos today for us, so it'll be Colby who will have that. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. And like I said, I guess the moratorium on WST might be coming off because uh, – we were not anticipating a December skate, well, but it's good we, news
3: for the Jets' club. We, we made it. We made it. The moratorium <laughs> did make it to the end of yesterday's show. Now, John Lewis put this out yesterday morning. May have been dragged into it, but uh, I think come uh, when we're back on the air with the regularly scheduled shows on Tuesday, yeah. um, this is probably going to be uh, a topic that we'll hit in addition to the big home-and-home home against the uh, the rival Minnesota Wild. Well, I mean, let's get into that,
1: of course, because, you know, we, like I said, we'll have more information on the postgame show that's coming your way around 345 whenever the Jets and Wild finish their game. But, has, I mean, it's going to sound obvious, but how, how, just how critical is this series? You know, Minnesota, Jim and I have been talking about it. One of the hottest teams in the NHL, uh, especially since they've made, or specifically since they've made their coaching change. They're playing a hard brand of hockey. I watched that. Jim and I both watched a bit of that Bruins Wild game uh, last Tuesday, or two Tuesdays ago, and that was a real good game. These guys are playing an effective brand of hockey. The one thing that's not working for them, which might be good for the Jets, if they can get their power play going, is the PK hasn't been very good for for Minnesota. But what are you seeing from this home-and-home
3: series uh, coming up? Well, I mean, obviously it's crucial. Anytime you're going back-to-back against a division rival, it's big. Um, I'd suggest it's bigger for the Wild, who are eight points back to the Jets, than it is for the Jets. But it is an opportunity for Winnipeg. really sort of step on the throat i mean if a sweep by either team is a massive swing in the standings a sweep by winnipeg essentially you know takes a lot of the steam out of what minnesota's done over the month of december heading into the new year and would put them up 12 points a wild sweep on the other side would almost completely erase their miserable start and Mm -hmm. put them within four points of the top three and jumping a few teams along the way right in that big mix it's amazing right now that both wild card teams and then some are from the central division as opposed mm-hmm. to the, uh, the the pacific the way i think most of us thought that this was going to play out going in um but listen i mean it goes to say two head to head games against a team in your division is big but uh, to me these games are a little bit more um You know, we've heard all season long the mantra of the family that the Winnipeg Jets are, you come at one of us, you come at all of us and listen, they've passed pretty much every test so far this season. Overall, Uh, this series promises to have more physicality, I think, than we've seen in most of these games before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that'll be a challenge that the Winnipeg Jets will look to, look to rise to, um, but I am fascinated to see how much the BS that happened at the end of last year Mm -hmm. carries over into this game. And in particular, how the Winnipeg jets handle it. If the roles are reversed, I could tell you right now, the wild would be running around like a bunch of idiots taking runs at guys. We've seen that before. That's not normally what the Winnipeg jets do, but I don't know about you guys. I don't think that all that business with Ryan Hartman, knocking Nealers, Nikolai Ehlers out at the end of the season is forgotten. And, uh, This goes back to my point earlier. I don't think this is going to be another one of these lazy 1 p.m. starts. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how the Jets sort of respond to that with the goal, first and foremost, of winning the hockey game um, is going to be really interesting when the puck drops. And, I mean, again, they're going back to back. So what happens today, how much of that carries over into uh, New Year's Eve in the Twin Cities as well?
2: I think it happens real quick. I, I think it's either Brendan Dillon or Adam Lowry, and uh, I'll be glued to Kelly Moore in the 680 pre pregame show to find out what the starting lineups are, because the minute I hear that, I expect Brendan Dillon or Adam Lowry to be one of the guys in the lineup. Um, now, Hartman might not be starting, but uh, I agree with you. Um, I really like Rick Bonus's system and and I don't like to be an ageist at all. I I think that he is in tune with today's game. I think he is a very smart coach, but he's also got that... We see him on the bench, right? Like, some of the best (laughs) B-roll footage is when there's a wrong call, there's a liberty taken. Um, Rick is that guy at the bar who said, who shoved my buddy? And and he wants to get in there. And... um, uh, I think that it doesn't take long. And I, and I don't think Rick is coaching it. I don't think it's going to be mentioned. I think it's just going to happen that Brendan Dillon or Adam Lowry ask Mr. Hartman to dance. And if Mr. Hartman doesn't want to dance, then I think the game is going to be closely monitored, right? But I, I don't know Ryan Hartman personally at all or very well, but I would think that he will oblige. They'll get it out of the way, and then we'll play some hockey. But because it's going to happen, I believe, real quick, I agree with a hustler here. I, I think that this, this two games set home and home. Um, and don't kid yourselves. Like the entire state of Minnesota is going to be watching this game and then heading to the game tomorrow and wanting whatever comes out of this. So I think it happens real quick. And then I think they get back to hockey, but that hockey is going to be physical and hard. And, and you're, you're going to know you played a couple of hockey games come Monday.
3: Well, and Dave, I mean, to Jim's point about Rick Bonus being a little old school and sometimes you get some great B-roll of it. Maybe the best of the B-roll all season long was from that game at the end of the season when he decided it would be a good idea to throw Ryan Reeves out there with 30 seconds left in the game. Bones was literally threatening to kill Everson on the side. And that is the one thing that this matchup today is missing. It's Dean Everson on the other side of the bench now. The coaching changes work very well for Minnesota. We were going through this yesterday, talking to Jesse Pierce on the show. They're 11-3 and three under John Hines. Yeah. I mean, I think they bottomed out. They realized that their season was on the line, and they've essentially been playing almost a playoff brand of hockey for the last month plus right now. Um, but the Jets have been doing that all season long, and they would love nothing more than to uh, stop the wild in their tracks and as you mentioned, that that PK number that is not working for Minnesota maybe gives uh, Jet fans a little hope that we might be able to hear a goal song or two after a five on four power play. Because um, a- as well as the team is playing at five on five, it is somewhat confounding that um, they just have not had success and really any momentum right now with the power play. And uh, that is one New Year's resolution that I'm sure the entire Winnipeg Jets have to get better going into the new year. And no time like the presence to get it going with these final two games of 2023.
1: Yeah, no, you're right, Hassan. And it's interesting because Jim and I talked about it with, uh, you know, we read Murat's article in The Athletic talking about the power play. And one of the things that stood out, you know, just you didn't have to read the article. You could watch it and see that the lack of movement from this from this group is is interesting, how they're they're, they're married to the positions that they seem to, you know, all have, and then they don't move when the puck is, being distributed at all so we'll we'll see if you know that's one of the things they worked on yesterday but it's critical I mean your five on five play has been exemplary and now it's a function of getting your special teams working because you know having the 23rd and 26th ranked power play and pKs respectively is, is just not going to be sufficient you need to be you know you don't need to be top 10 but you were at one point last year you know you were top 10 in in, in the PK and you're top 15 in the power play. And that's what you need to be. You look, we this folks are comparing this team to uh, from last year's team, even because you know if you look at them from a points perspective, they're they're very similar. But the difference is last year you won basically largely because of Connor Hellebuck, and and you outscored your problems. This year, your five and five play's been fantastic. Your your the play of your goaltending, your goaltenders overall has been fantastic. And now it's just your special teams. And once the Jets can kind of get that demon fixed. It's, it, it really will be, it'll serve them because we talked about it. Rick Bonas said yesterday, five or six games have been lost because of an inability to produce on the power play. Well, that's, that's significant because right now, as you just touched on, and it's one of the things that is worth mentioning, you've got Minnesota, they're charging, but it's, it's hard. The one thing that you got to focus on is it's a long season and it's hard to play playoff hockey the entirety of the season. It really is. It, it you know it drains your team. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up. I, I don't think it's sustainable, but we'll we'll see. But but the other thing that's worth mentioning is Arizona and Nashville. They're not going anywhere. They're still sticking around. You talked about that tough Central Division us. It's going to be really interesting, and that's why if you're the Jets and you have six more points, or even four more points, you got a lot more breathing room than you are, do right now. So yeah, you're in a good position but there's still a lot of good that you can gain if you can start getting those special teams under control.
3: Yeah, listen, if, if the Jets had av- an average power play this year, yeah, um, we're probably talking about a team going into 2023 with the three, four-point cushion right now yeah. at the, in the first place. I mean, listen, obviously nothing is going to be perfect throughout the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, I mean, to me, the foundation of the Winnipeg Jets, the way they're playing at five-on-five five, uh, and have done pretty much consistently, since the start of the season I mean that is that tells you all you need to know about how this team can compete night in and night out and why I don't think we'll see anything resembling the bottoming out for a couple months like happened to last year's team and it happened in the past I mean I think they are built with a again with the foundation of five on five play that'll have them competitive in in all of these games um but if you can start getting a little bit more, and we know the talent is there. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's no reason why this team, with the players they're throwing out there, can't be more effective on the power play. Um, and I think, if anything, that shows that the Winnipeg Jets have uh, have another gear that they can show if they continue to focus on what they've been doing well, add a little bit more with some dynamic players and some changes in on the power play. And, um, you know, at that point, we're going to be talking about a stretch drive You know, that includes scoreboard watching with Dallas and Colorado as opposed to Minnesota and Arizona and all that. But I I say that with the caveat that a big part of that is taking care of business this week and not allowing the Minnesota Wild to enter the chat for the top (laughs) three teams in uh, in the division and have them battling with Arizona and Nashville and St. Louis and the Edmonton Oilers and the Flames and the Kraken for those wildcard spots right now because, I mean, I think based on the way these teams have played so far this year, it would be a surprise if the top three in the Central is not Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado, and by the same token, in the Pacific, if it's not Vancouver, Vegas, Los Angeles. And that means you've got a bunch of teams right clumped together that are all battling with every point being crucial um, to be one of those two wildcard spots at the end of the year
2: yeah i I totally agree and that that's why it's an interesting weekend right like there's the fallout of the year's hit from last year um and Dave mentioned it earlier that this could be a ten point cushion if they could get all four points but really i, I look towards the top i i um it's hard not to look back. I love Husser referenced once that things in the mirror appear closer than they are last year when the jets started to struggle and things started <laughs> catching up on them real quick. I thought that was a great line. Um, But I look forward. Like, you've got three games in hand here with Colorado, and, and these aren't going to be easy games with Minnesota. They're rolling, of course, four wins in a row, seven and three in their last ten. But if you can get four points, even three points this weekend, and keep climbing towards Colorado with three games in hand on them, I, I would imagine they play this weekend and, and so maybe two games in hand and get four points here. It's all about continuing to grow and go forward, right? But the power play <coughs> – pardon me – it is crucial. They they once they get that going, and if they can improve the penalty kill, uh, Hustlers, right, Dave? You mentioned this earlier too. Like it just has to be average, mm-hmm. and they would probably have three or four more wins this year, and they would be three games on hand on Colorado, and probably a point to three games up in the division. So. Um, nothing's going to be perfect as Husser said, but it can't be this bad for the entire season. I expect it to come around and hopefully this weekend against a bad penalty kill at the Minnesota wild.
1: Well, and so Huss, I'm going to ask you to put on your, I asked Jimmy to do this earlier. I want you to put on your GM hat. And if you are GM Kevin shovel day off and you're looking at this Jets roster right now and of course, blow, it up. Uh, blow it up, There you go. <laughs> headline. GM Kevin Sheldon. I think I heard that over the summer. Somebody <laughs>
2: said blow it up. Yeah, a couple people, people actually. Lots
1: of people. <laughs> but, you know, you you've got Billy Haynola, You've got that question mark as to what you're going to do. You've got the glut of blue liners in Chisholm and Stanley, and you're not really sure where they all stand. So, if you're the GM though, what are you looking to shore up? I mean, we we saw Chris Johnson mention Sean Monahan to come in and play. You know, for the for the Jets potentially. Well, be acquired by the Jets, I should say, as, as that opportunity. But what would you do if you're the GM to shore this team up to be the make of a deep team when it comes time for the playoffs?
3: Well, I, I, I mean, first and foremost, I will say, I think this is as deep a team as the Jets have had um, probably since 2011. I mean, you could argue that the 17, 18 team, when they made the addition to Stastny and you had Brian Little playing on the fourth line was probably the best version of it. Um, and maybe that team, I guess, in the top 12 was deeper, but You know, Winnipeg now has guys. I mean, with Kapari coming back, I mean, they'll have an extra skater that, you know, is definitely capable of being in the lineup. I think Axel has completely established himself as an NHL or not a guy that's just up on a loan from the Manitoba Moose. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, listen, when you look at this uh, this team, it's certainly not in net. Um, I I think there's an argument. Because the defense has played so well this year, like Mm -hmm. that I think is what we all thought that would be the real – you know, hot point for Kevin dayoff You know, how can they get this, you know, defense core up to the level that they need? Well, they've been that and more throughout the season. I mean, if you look at the defensive metrics, I mean, the Morrissey-Damello uh, line uh, pairing is right up there, like number one, I think, in goal differential for yeah. team for pairs over 300 minutes. Well, Pionk and Dylan are seventh in the league as well. And it's been well documented that Dylan Sandberg and Nate Schmidt just don't get scored on when they are out there right now. So I think the urgency on the blue line is not maybe what we all thought that it would be at the beginning of the season. Now, listen, if you can get a a borderline elite top four right shot defenseman, I mean, you do that. that. That would absolutely be, I think, you know, on the wish list. But put it this way, I'm not sure it is as high of a priority as it might have been because of the way these guys, and especially especially Neil Pionk has played. I mean, he was a guy that had a rough couple seasons, but we had seen him play at a higher level in the past, and he has done that so far. You know, is that going to be sustained through the rest of the season? I guess we'll find out. Decisions will be made based on that. If you had asked me this question two weeks ago, that is where I would have started on the blue line. Mm -hmm. But as we go into 2024 right now, um, I think I sort of lean more along the line of a second line center that could come in and, and you know, add a real boost to that line and potentially play with Perfetti and either Ehlers or Connor or Velarde, whoever that is. And if you had that player, um, the Lowry line's not changing. All of a sudden, your fourth line has Vlad Nemetnikov, has Alexia Fallow on it. Um, And if that is the case, then you're talking about a team that is really deep from 1 to 12. Not that the guys haven't been getting it done so far, um, but also allows you the cushion that when inevitably a guy or two gets hurt, players like Axel and Gus are able to come in and continue to do what they've done all year right now. So um, long way of saying I think the second line center is sort of has become the priority. That Mm -hmm. wasn't the way things were at the start of the year. But I think they'll kick tires and look around a way to, you know, get a difference maker on the blue line at some point if the price is right. But I have a feeling that that, you know, one more spot in the top six at a reasonable cost will be what uh, the team's looking for. And I know Elias Lindholm's been a guy that his name has been kicked around. I think he'd be a perfect, perfect fit for that. And doesn't have a contract next year. So it's not like you're getting into, I mean, it wouldn't come with an extension. Um, But again, do the Jets want to pay a big, big rental price? I think the way the team plays over the next couple months will be a big determining factor in just how aggressive Kevin Sheveldeup wants to be and feels that he should be based on where the team is at right now. But they've certainly done the job so far up until this point, Dave. There you
1: go. Well, there we go. We've got the words from the man, the myth, the legend. He is Andrew Hustler-Patterson. You hear him every day during the week on Winnipeg Sports Talk coming your way 1 o'clock. Central time has one o'clock central. Yeah. Winnipeg just sports like talk. the
3: games this weekend. Uh, that's when we're live. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can just uh, much like I'm sure many of you are listening to the illegal curve podcast. Just put in Winnipeg sports talk, wherever you get your pods and know we usually got it up around three thirty, uh, just in time for your drive home. When we used to do the program back on a station that will not be named. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it's
1: always, always, always fun to talk about the old times. But the new times are a lot more fun. We're having a lot more fun, and hey, you know what? The benefit of the new times are us. We get to have Jim on the show. We get to have, you know, one. Hey, look, one day we had we had Sean Reynolds and Craig Button. We had TSN and Sportsnet on our show, so uh, it's, it's nice for us because it gives us a lot more variety. We get a lot of chance to speak to our friends throughout the media landscape, and we're not limited
3: uh, in scope. Well, listen, man, you guys have had another great year, and continue to kill it doing uh, both the uh, shows on Saturdays as well as all the post games and. It's always a great opportunity to talk to Jim. Uh, live, even if he's using a baked potato for a microphone <laughs> like he is today. But uh, yeah, that's I'm going to get you, get you I, right I right have, in 2024. I hear the audio issues.
2: I saw it all day, and uh, I will I will work on rectifying it. The problem is, is I fire this thing up at home once every four months, so if that, so I, uh, I'll, I'll power it up or change the audio. I apologize to all the viewers and <laughs> listeners. It's nice to talk to Andy on a Saturday morning before noon, too, so it's all good, Dave. I
3: mean, listen, I would I would have preferred a later slot, but I realized this show is nine to eleven. So yeah, hey, we gave you the late slot too, us. Huh? So, I mean, usually the I jet slot that, is at nine thirty, but I gave you the ten thirty today. So I tried to, to extend it a little bit. I uh, I do appreciate that. It was a great day to do it because uh, I mean uh, we're right downtown just after this to uh, get ready for this game, and uh, as I say, I'm looking forward to seeing what this crowd's like. And uh, I well, I, I'm just hoping the Jet fans remember how this season ended because we all remember the way that Minnesota Wild treated the Winnipeg Jets and their fans after the Stanley Kaprizov incident. I mean, it was, uh, it was less than hospitable. So uh, um, I know there'll be a lot of families and kids coming up in the, around this holidays today, but uh, uh, I'm hoping that the rivalry really kind of, um, you know, fires this crowd up today and uh, we have a good one tonight. And then uh, of course, tomorrow afternoon heading into I know there's a lot of Winnipeggers actually heading down tomorrow or right after the game. Go to the Wild Jets at 1 and then Packers-Vikings at 7.20. Hell of a way to finish up Wow.
2: The year. Yeah, that's head a good weekend. To the,
3: uh, head into the new year. But anyways, thanks again for having me, Dave. All the best to you. I mean, you're saving the best content for last of 2023. <laughs> uh, no Ezzy, no Drew. Bring in the boys. No, yeah. seriously. Love the, love the boys. Yeah. And uh, you guys have uh, killed it all year long. And I'm looking forward to uh, more chats coming up in 2024 sounds great we
1: appreciate you joining us this morning here on the Elite of hockey show happy new year to you i'm not gonna say happy new year to our audience yet huss because they'll hopefully be joining us on the post two days yeah exactly tonight and tomorrow so you'll you'll get a chance to wish you all happy new year plus hopefully most of you will join i know there's already 7,000 expected to be at the moose game tomorrow afternoon live fireworks after the game Hus. we're excited to see archangel inside canada life uh, yeah, some, with some explosions after the game so hopefully the moose uh give the fans something to, to explode on the ice for and then the art uh, the the uh the fireworks after it so anyways we'll get into that happy new year house thanks a lot for joining us we really appreciate it hey my
3: pleasure guys have a great one and happy new year to you and to everybody in the chat
2: See right, the house. That,
3: that's andrew hustler patterson of winnipeg sports talk well jim You soldiered
1: through it, whether it was an audio issue, whether it was health issues, you soldiered through two hours of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. So we very much appreciate uh, your effort for us today, and we very much appreciate the effort of our sponsors. So I'll give them a big thanks, because a big thanks to all the sponsors of Illegal Curve who make the post-game show, the Saturday show, and the website a possibility. They are Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zappia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Tuck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rollie's transfer and Farmery Beer, home Jim of the IC Beer, which I'm going to try and get you after your big appearance today.
2: So wow! To
1: fine businesses because of their continued support of illegal curve hockey. So, well, it's been a fun morning, Jim. We've uh, flown through two hours of Jets and Moose talk for the folks uh, this Saturday morning. Setting up the Jets and Wild this afternoon. Uh, they'll be joining us after on the illegal curve hockey, sh- uh, the illegal curve post game show. But I'll give you the final word, and then we'll 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 send it
2: to uh to canada life yeah well i just uh, wish everybody a happy new year um just to echo on hustler i thank you and uh, uh drew and um as you do a great job it's always a pleasure having uh coming on the show and i always watch uh when i'm not too so uh happy new year to you three happy new year to everybody in the chat and I will get the audio fixed. I apologize, and hopefully my NyQuil coma didn't affect my my takes too much. That's probably why they were decent today, actually. <laughs> so, uh, but just a general happy, safe New Year to everybody, and enjoy the game. Uh, no better way to go into the New Year than back to back against Minnesota. So great stuff, and uh, have a happy, safe New Year, everybody, and especially you, Dave.
1: All right, appreciate that, Jim. Happy New Year to you and yours, and we'll uh, we'll see everyone back for the Illegal Curve post game show, which will be around three forty five p.m. after Jets and Wild, which gets underway at one o'clock. Thanks a lot for listening and for joining us this morning. We will be back very soon. This has been the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. I'm Dave Manuk. He's Jim Toth. Enjoy the rest of your morning. We'll see you later this afternoon for the Illegal Curve post game show.
0: Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.